Welcome, everybody, to episode five of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me is Dan Humphrey. What's up, everyone? Today, we are going to talk about jujitsu. Yay! Probably the most depolarized thing you can do because <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're conservative or you're Republican or you're independent or you're communist or Naziist. If you get choked, you're going to fall asleep. That's right. So chokes don't give a damn about your politics. So <laughs> this will be a nice fun podcast since both Dan and I practice the, uh, the gentle art. Yes, sir. That's how we met. That is exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Let's start, uh, if, if you would, start by um, explaining your jiu-jitsu journey. If I remember correctly, didn't you get your white belt, like, over a decade ago? Hasn't it been a long time? Well, well over a decade ago. And, the, well, the white belt's automatic, but my blue belt. Yeah, I should I, say you were you started yeah, well over a decade yeah. ago. I, I think I did my first bit of jiu-jitsu in 1996. Mm-hmm. Either 95 or 96, something like that. Um, yeah, my, my journey has been an interesting one. <clears throat> so um, shortly after the very first UFC, which I did in fact uh, buy on pay-per-view and watched that uh, and was absolutely blown away like many, many, many people were, um, that brought up the conversation of jiu-jitsu and grappling and, and that was kind of a hot topic at the time. And you got to understand, back then, um, the the landscape of martial arts was so much different, uh, particularly in the United States. Um, that was before anybody really, really knew, or I should say the general public really, really knew what was effective, what actually worked. At the time, when the UFC uh, began, it was billed as a contest to see which martial arts were the best and which actually worked. And, and so it was a test of different styles of martial art. Um, and, and nobody really knew. Everybody thought that theirs was the best and uh, they were going to go out and, uh, and prove it. And lo and behold, a skinny little Brazilian guy shocked the world and choked out a bunch of dudes, a bunch of big dudes. Yeah, didn't he give up like 60, 70 pounds? Every... Uh, I, I think it might have been 80 to 80, 70. Yeah, because yeah. he, uh, he was a buck 60. So, yeah, buck 60. Wet and in a, in a gi. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a big guy at all. So that really opened everybody's eyes. Uh, at the time, I was taking a martial art called Kenpo Karate. And of course, like everybody with their own... Uh, branded martial arts, we thought it was the best and, you know, super badass and, and all that. Um, but this, this grappling thing seemed interesting, so we started to play around with it. We meaning uh, myself and my brother-in-law. And we got the first round of the Gracie tapes, um, Hoist, and I think, um, I think it was Horian and Hoist put out VHS, VHS, ladies and gentlemen, VHS tapes uh, showing some of the basics of jiu-jitsu. And my brother-in-law somehow got his hands on a, an old wrestling mat, like a nasty old wrestling mat that came out of some college somewhere. And we threw that in his garage. We watched the tapes and, and just kind of messed around. And even just the very, very basics that we got on those tapes were very valuable mm-hmm. to the point that uh, one day we were um, at, uh, at a Kempo class 
And again, you know, the martial arts world was all talking about this jujitsu stuff. So my instructor was working in some grappling that I think he had kind of devised on the spot <laughs> as the UFC came out. It wasn't really part of the traditional Kempo training. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, he integrated some stuff. So we were playing around with grappling in this Kempo class. And I actually uh, tapped out my instructor. And that was, that was pretty eye-opening for me because what I learned just from these silly little VHS tapes proved to be genuinely effective against you know the person that I thought was invincible. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're taking a traditional martial arts, typically you're going to think that your instructor is invincible and that's why you're learning from them. Uh, so that was my that was kind of a turning point for me, and so I b- kept training in jujitsu. Again, it was still just the the VHS tapes in the garage. Um, finally, my brother in law ended up tracking down a purple belt somewhere. I forget where it was, uh, and got a little bit more solid instruction. So we did that for a while, and then again, somehow um, Kevin, that's my brother in law, got in contact with Marcelo Alonso. Okay. And Marcelo Alonso, he still trains in the Seattle area. Uh, he's an old school black belt. And at the time, he was the very first black belt in the state of Washington. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, he's currently the highest ranked yeah. black belt in the state. He's, uh, he's OG for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we got into his class. I think we were down in Tukwila at the time and uh, trained there for a while. Uh, and it was, it was fantastic. And you know, it was it was old school jujitsu. It's definitely changed a lot. The training methods, and I think mostly for the better. Um, but it was this was kind of the old school classroom uh, or, or gym rather, and we we learned jujitsu. Um, and then just about the time I was getting my blue belt, I personally I got in a motorcycle accident. It was pretty nasty. Almost lost my leg. Uh, I was in Harborview for eight days. And, uh, that definitely took me out of jujitsu for a while since I couldn't walk normally for quite a while. Um, and you know, it's one of those things that looking back, I'm not sure what exactly triggered it or what, what the cause was, but for some reason, um, as I was, uh, getting over my leg injury, uh, I, I really kind of focused more on the, like the gym and the fitness industry ended up becoming a personal trainer and a, a manager of personal trainers and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, made a, made a career out of it for a number of years. And if you ever would ask me during that time, like, Hey, do you, have you ever tried this jujitsu stuff? It's like, Oh yeah, I trained jujitsu. It's, it's just been a while. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just been a while turned into, I think 16 years. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, I was basically telling this very same story to a friend of a friend and he trains here locally as well at a place called Seatown Sambo. And he invited me to, to come roll. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Even though it's, you know, been a super long time. Let's go check this out. Um, and, and, you know, fell in love with it again. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe for the first time. I really enjoyed it before. But this time it, it really clicked as something that I needed to make part of my life. Um, and as it turned out, I actually ran into Marcelo. Uh, he was doing a guest seminar when I came down and he At recognized C-Town me and all Samba. that. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So it was, it was very much a, a welcoming environment to come back into it, even though it had been so long. And uh, I looked around for something a little bit closer to where I was to train. I found uh, Gracie Baja in Kirkland with Professor Cindy Hales and just started training consistently there mm-hmm. for a number of years. 
Um, got my purple belt from Cindy. There was a little bit of drama, or maybe a lot of bit of drama, um, that happened at that particular gym. I don't know the details, uh, but Professor Cindy decided to move on uh, from that location and ended up opening her own gym, uh, which was a blessing in disguise, I think, because um, she's a phenomenal teacher, and mm-hmm. you know now she's got her own place, and she's doing quite well, um, not counting the uh, pandemic, of course. Um, so that was kind of the, er, and when that happened, when the, when uh, Kirkland Gracie Baja kind of blew up and people scattered to the winds and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to train, that's when I came over here, here being um, Evergreen BJJ in Bothell, Washington, and met you, Bo. Me. And uh, trained here for almost a year, I think. Before the pandemic. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and then here we are. So that's that's my long circuitous route mm. through jujitsu, um, but it was uh, it's always been a part of me. And now I'm glad that I that I, I'm actively, you know, part of the jujitsu community again, and eagerly, eagerly awaiting a chance to actually get back on the mats and train for real. Oh yeah. So how about you? Um, I have a couple questions first, if okay. I may. Um, who who'd you get your blue belt from? I got that from Marcelo. Okay. How long did you train before you got it? Uh, it's probably about a year. About a year. Okay. Yeah, I know it's between one and two is pretty common. So yeah. depending on uh, the instructor, but yeah, and he's uh, he's a Carlson Gracie black belt. Correct. And I know Carlson's very strict with his black yep. belts, and so I would expect him to Marcelo to also be very strict with how he grades. Well, you know, funny you mentioned that. So when I started training with Professor Cindy, um, obviously there's a question of you know you got some experience. Da da da. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what was your rank? It's like, well, I got a blue belt, but that's been a long time ago. So we can just go ahead and start over and, and that'd be just fine. She says, nope. If Marcelo gave you a blue belt, you You're are a blue. a blue belt. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay. So I, I got whipped on by the white belts for a while. Yeah, I was going to say, were you kind of a bottom of the week. rung blue belt? <laughs> Ooh, I was, I say I was a very pale blue belt. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, it's, uh, it's good for the ego mm-hmm. just to go in and, and train. And now, uh, Cindy Hale, it's Cindy Hales, right? With an yes. S, yeah. She is one of the uh, female dirty dozen, correct? One of the that first. That is correct, yes. First 12 female American black belts. Yes. Um, which is pretty incredible. And so, yeah. Um, it's interesting because uh, Washington actually does have some pretty deep, some old school jujitsu roots. Oh, sure. Yeah. Old school martial arts roots. Yeah. Bruce Lee lived here. Uh, It's not very big in terms of comparatively to the East Coast, let's say, or in California in terms of like competition and like the number of, you know, absurdly talented black belts. Like you, you know, obviously New York's got like five different schools that are all absurdly world class. And down in San Diego in particular, there's again, there's probably half a dozen or two. They're both the meccas of America for grappling. And then everything else is kind of spread out and Washington, I don't think has ever been known as like this talent-rich area for jujitsu comparatively, um, which I would disagree with. I having grappled with quite a few different people from different gyms, there's I think there's a good amount of talent here. It's just not as broadly speaking, there's not as many competitive gyms I think right. um, compared to those cities, and that makes sense because um, of where people migrated to when they came up from Brazil. But there's some old school martial arts in general, but jujitsu here, you, Marcelo's been around for a long time. Cindy Hale, one of the first black belts, a female black belts. Uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, why am I forgetting his name now? Um, Anibal Lobo uh, is a black belt down in uh, um, Vancouver, Washington. 
Okay. And he was like, he was high school friends with Hickson, Gracie, and Pedro Sauer. No kidding. Yes. He was actually considered, um, if, if you can actually look it up um, on like old, uh, there's like old websites that have this information that are no longer valid, but you can look them up on like archived files. He was considered Hickson Gracie's hitman. No kidding. Yeah. He's a Brian size. So he's, you know, um, from what I gather, he's like pretty small. He's like maybe like a buck 60, buck 50, like five, five, seven, not very big. I think, I think that's yeah. what I've heard. Um, but he wasn't a big guy was the point. And, um, he was, uh, one of his inst- Hickson's instructors. And for those of you who aren't aware, Hickson Gracie is the son of Elio Gracie, the, one of the founders of jujitsu. And he's generally considered the, um, like the greatest jujitsu practitioner of all time. He was specifically not chosen to do the UFC and his younger brother, Hoyce, who was considered the worst of the Gracie brothers, um, and as well as the youngest, but he was considered the least good. Um, he, he wasn't picked, Hickson wasn't, because they didn't think it would be, it would prove anything. Well, yeah, see, Hickson was a, um, a Valley much Tudo more guy. of a, a physical specimen. Yeah. Uh, he looked like a fighter. Oh, yeah, he was 5'10", like 190, like yeah. six-pack sculpt, and this other guy was... Hoist was pretty, pretty thin and like, just like an average looking guy. And, um, they, they, they wanted to make sure that they chose what they considered to be the least competitive of the brothers to go whoop everybody. So then they'd be like, look, like our stuff actually does work. Cause yeah. Dixon's just an athlete. So, you know, he's going to win no matter what. It's brilliant marketing. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, Annie Ball was, uh, one of his, uh, hitmen, if I remember correctly. And, um, cause I believe I'm getting that mar- right there. It may be another black belt and I'll have to fact check that after this, but, um, he, uh, got his black belt and then took like a 20 year hiatus. He just like, I think he actually like literally disappeared. Like his family didn't know where he went. Hmm. I'll have to ask Brian about the history because it's a pretty crazy history. Okay. And then now he's, he's been training and, and teaching in uh, Vancouver for the last like 10 years or so. And, uh, he technically should be like a seventh degree black belt, like a red coral belt at this point. Interesting. But he left for so long and came yeah. back. And, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of old school jujitsu, uh, I think one of Hickson's daughters, I think she trains or she runs a gym in like Yakima oh. on the side of the state. Okay. Um, and, uh, I think, I think, um, every now and again, Hickson's son, uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Crone, uh, trains over there too. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so it's, it's not often, but I think he does come up and does seminars and stuff. And I think he, uh, helps, helps her like give out belts and stuff. I think she's a purple belt. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, I was interesting when I was looking into the history that it's kind of an old school, a lot of old school black belts in the area. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty crazy. And so, um, and I actually just remembered, so Annie Balobo wasn't considered the hitman. I take that back. He was just an old school friend of theirs. The, um, the hitman for Hickson was, uh, oh God, I'm not, he's, uh, um, the Pedro Sauer affiliate in, uh, Maui. I'm not sure who that is. His uh, nickname's Lemon. I can't remember the rest. Because <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name, but it's, it's Limon, uh, Brazilian for Lemon. Um, but he was, he, and he, I've actually met him. He's a very small guy. He's Brian's size. He actually is like 5'6". Okay. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I just thought that was very interesting how like, how much history there was in the state when it came to uh, just the, like the old school yeah. style, like uh, uh, jujitsu, the old school self-defense in particular, like it's very much self-defense oriented right. in a large number of gyms. I know Gracie Baja in particular sort of 
pushes away from that a little bit. They're definitely much more of a competitive branch, but yeah, it's um, a, more of a, a sport jujitsu. But uh, um, and and lest we forget, you know, this is modern era, but uh, Demetrius Johnson, the UFC flyweight champion from that division's inception for several years, I forget, I think he had what ten title defenses or mm-hmm. something, something ridiculous. One of the most winning champions ever, and he uh, trains in Kirkland, so. Yeah, so he trains under Matt Hume. That's who's right. Yeah. Considered the wizard, and he was an older school fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did quite well, but really, really came into his own as a coach. Yeah, uh, absolutely world class. Um, so that's right. I, the, who's the other one? I, I couldn't remember his name, so I wasn't going to bring him up. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah anyways, uh, so my story. Um, mine was not near as long. Like I, <laughs> good. I've been doing this for uh, just over four years. And, um, it it would have been four years in May had we not stopped for COVID. Okay, uh, technically speaking, but it started in uh, May of 2016. Um, and mine mine was started for. I went. I moved to the area to Bothell um, for work. My work moved from uh, Kenmore up to Bothell, and I was living in Lake City. And I didn't want to bus the extra of a car. I didn't want to bus the extra 20 or so minutes mm-hmm. each way. Um, it was already an hour long bus ride depending on traffic. And so, and I had stopped going to the gym as a result because there wasn't, there's not really a gym that's within walking distance um, in downtown in like old school Bothell and by main street and everything. And um, so I spent about two years not going to the gym and um, slowly getting kind of burnt out and crushed by um, just work shit mm-hmm. and uh i'd like to give a shout out actually to my girlfriend because without her i think i probably would be in a way worse place in my life because she kind of helped me um both want to continue to like you know go to work and do things and come home and because it was nice to come home to her and or to see her when i did before we started living together and um but i definitely got really burnt out and uh very angry and upset and um my old boss had actually given me a uh a free month plus registration fee um, for Evergreen. She had won it or uh, bid on it at like an auction for the, through the Bothell Chamber. Okay. They were auctioning off a, a free month plus the basically the registration, basically the gee. And I held on to it for six months. They auctioned it off in Christmas and then I, uh, she won in early December and then I actually finally went in May. I waited like six months to go. I was terrified. Because <laughs> I, I had done about a year of Taekwondo in high school. Okay. And for the listeners, Evergreen is uh, Evergreen BJJ, and that's the uh, school that we met and mm-hmm. we're actually currently sitting in right now recording this podcast. Correct, and it is it is both a, um, it has two schools in it as a karate school. Um, I believe it's Shotokan Karate, and uh, and then they do the jujitsu and uh, um, different teachers and stuff for both. And um, But I having done Taekwondo for a year, um, I was kind of soured by the politics of it and how expensive it was, and um, I also just didn't really like it. And I knew that karate was in for Taekwondo and for karate enthusiasts and practitioners, you're probably going to roll your eyes, but I assumed that they were fairly similar, um, which I know isn't technically true now, but compared to jujitsu, they're, they're similar, you know, it, it's, it's similar, like wrestling and jujitsu is similar right? or like, you know, jujitsu and Sambo are similar, right? There's definitely enough similarities to where you look at them and you're like, oh, okay. It's a striking art that includes legs. Exactly. Versus a ground art. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Even if the politics are different, I was like, I don't want to deal with it. And, um, but I looked up 
what jujitsu was and watched some MMA and was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I waited six months because I was afraid I was going to come in and just get my ass handed to me by a bunch of meatheads who, right. you know, couldn't wipe their own ass. And, you know, I had traps that like blocked their ears, <laughs> you know, just like, well, you, you know, the roided out MMA guy yeah. you see that's like crazy. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Even though I never looked at the window and watched like Brian and Sean and a couple of the smaller guys roll and they're like tiny and not, not mean. It's a common misconception. It, no, very much so. But, um, so I waited six months and finally my girlfriend, and again, another shout out to her. She was like, just go, go do the trial, like email them, set up a trial. Like you need to go do something, you know? And, um, I often joke that she was like, you know, she privately wanted me to, cause I was so upset all the time that she was like, get out of the house, like <laughs> leave me alone. But, uh, so I signed up and I went and, um, I was, I was about 25 pounds heavier than I am now, but I was pretty muscular. I was like really top heavy. And, um, I'd done a lot of, a lot of lifting for many years and was got pretty big up top in particular. And, um, you know, I came in and I was like, I'm athletic, even though I haven't done much in a while. And like, oh, this will be fine. Um, pulled a groin muscle during the warm up, <laughs> doing side shrimps. Okay. Um, and then I had to stretch that out for like two years because it would, I would flare up the, it was like I had a tight inner groin muscle and, um, on my right side in particular. And so a lot of the movements, like I really needed to stretch it. Otherwise they would, it would seize up and doing that move in particular, the hip, the hip switch and all that, the moving the hips just really, really pulled it and hurt to walk home. Like I had to stretch it every day for like two weeks before I could walk. Right. Like it was, it was pretty bad. Wow. Um, so I continue to do everything and I, I'm, I'm matched up with Sean and I just mentioned a minute ago, Sean's, uh, pretty small. He's a small guy. He's, when he competes, he's 135 pounds and uh, five, six. And, uh, um, he actually does have a little bit of a mean streak to him. <laughs> um, but, uh, and if you don't know him very well, or he doesn't know you very well, he doesn't smile a lot. <laughs> so we're doing triangles and, um, you know, cause he's partly small and I have like pretty thick, I had pretty thick shoulders and traps at the time. Like he couldn't really triangle me because his legs aren't very big. Like it was harder and it was a thicker guy. And so he actually had to like try kind of hard to like actually get the triangles to work. And I found this out like a year and a half later when I asked him about this, but at the time he was just trying to make the move work. Right. And I was a little thick, too thick for him. <laughs> but for me as like never doing this before, this tiny kid who I was sure that I could bench, I could like curl with one hand and would just like tear in half if I like flexed really hard, was just choking the shit out of me repeatedly with like, with like an angry face. Like he just, <laughs> he just like would look at me in the eyes as he choked me with his legs and just like make a grimace. Like I was somehow offending him <laughs> and he scared the shit out of me. It took, like I said, it took me a year and a half to ask him or to tell him that story. Like I literally waited till I was like a, well into my blue belt to tell him that he actually scared the crap out of me when I first <laughs> met him because he was so angry and he was choking the crap out of me just like over and over and over. And every time I tried, I like, I'd try and triangle him. I couldn't figure it out. And I was all sweaty and like my groin already was sore. And then I kept like, you know, needing to use the groin to do the triangle. And, and then it would like hurt it again. And it was just this, it was just this shit show. And you <laughs> mind know, you, this was just perception. Sean is a very nice guy. You know, he is very much so. Um, and, uh, so I am like massively defeated and I'm not like a hugely egotistical individual, but I'm fairly athletic and, I was like, I, I could hack this. Like, this isn't a problem. And then I just, afterwards, I like walked home in shame and sweat. And it was like, it was May. So it was pretty nice actually out of that day. And I had to walk half a mile home up a hill and part for part of it. And my legs sore. And, you know, I, uh, it was just, it was just brutal. And I, 
I come in, my girlfriend's like, how was it? And I was like, it was fucking terrible. Like, I'm never doing that. I can't believe it. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, I'm terrible. I suck. Like, I'm out of shape. I can't believe this tiny guy, like, basically choked the life out of me for, for an hour. Like, it was just all, I couldn't believe it. And she's like, I'm paraphrasing, but she was like, you need to suck it up and go back. Like, you're not really a quitter. It's never really anything. Like, you can do this. You know, you're, it's fine. And, um, so I went back like two days later. It was like a Wednesday class. I went back to like a Friday class and I've been doing at least three days a week ever since. And now I teach. So I technically sometimes do five days a week of class. It's been four years. I decided once I went back after, after stretching and trying like the warm ups at home a little bit, I was just hooked, just completely hooked. I just an immediate, um, and, uh, it, I, I can't get enough of it. The mental, yeah, the mental aspects of it too, are for me is, is a big thing, but it was the, that's one of two times that I've ever had a bad day in jujitsu was my first day. And then very shortly after I got my blue belt. Um, but people often talk in jujitsu about, uh, like the blue belt blues in particular, like blue belt, sure. yep. Yep. um, or people will often talk about just in general to hitting a plateau. And I think this happens a lot with like four stripe white belts. And then with, uh, um, maybe later, like four stripe, three stripe purple or brown belts where they get a little complacent or they, maybe they're not having enough, um, challenge, mm-hmm. challenging matches with people in the gym. Um, but in particular, I know, I know a lot of blue belts quit because of this. They, they hit a plateau cause they're starting to figure stuff out. And then like with anything, you plateau for a bit. Yep. Um, I've never had that ever. And, um, I actually don't understand the concept, but within jujitsu because i'm so excited all the time to do it but yeah. um but yeah it was first bad day was day one <laughs> and then the next bad day was the the first time i rolled with brian our instructor when i was a blue belt and it actually was the first time i'd ever rolled with him mm. interestingly um which i know is, isn't very common i'd roll with other other uh other guys and gals in, in the in the class in our, in our program and uh um i just hadn't had a chance to roll with them because i usually didn't stay that late because he we would roll, we'd roll from like nine to 10 pretty late at night. Mm. And I usually didn't like to stay that late. And so I just never had a chance to do it. And so if, you know, he's like, okay, well, you know, his other purple and brown belts are like, he's ready for his blue belt. You know, gives me a blue belt. And like that night or like a, a couple of days later we're rolling and I'm like, okay, well, I'm a blue belt. Like I've been doing this for nine, 10 months. You know, I'm doing it quite a bit. I think I can do something, you know, like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not holding out hope for a lot. <laughs> But, you know, I do got 20 pounds on the guy. You know, he's not a big guy. Like, sure. I, I should, you know, I know how to, you know, do some escapes and stuff. I should be able to do something. I may, I, I can at least do a trap and roll if he's mounted me because I'm so much bigger. I can, I have a big bridge. I can bridge him out. Like, I can at least do that. I, I'm going to tell you a story about that when you get done. And my 145-pound <laughs> instructor demoralized the fuck out of me. I actually remember specifically a moment where he swept me on top. And I knew he was going to sweep me, but I didn't have enough like wherewithal to like stop the sweep. So I, I had already planned to get up from the sweep before it happened. Okay. Cause I was like aware of what he was going to do, but I yeah. couldn't like react quick enough physically. And so as he, as he does a butterfly sweep, I go to get up and I'm already thinking about it. And before I have a chance to get up, he had already prepared for the fact I was going to get up and then just slam somehow slams me into the ground. <laughs> and I remember thinking that was the microcosm of the whole entire roll. It was like six, seven minutes, or I think we did two rounds of six minutes. Every time I tried to get up, he would somehow manage to just throw me onto the mat and then choke the ever living shit out of me. 
I, it, it, it happened at least 15 times per round. And I, I left and was like, why did he give me a blue belt? <laughs> like why this, I don't feel like I should be able to do something. Like I couldn't defend anything. Yeah. Try and defend a collar choke from the mountain. Nope. Couldn't bridge him. Couldn't do nothing. He just choked me. Didn't matter where I put my hands. Try and, you know, move the arm so he couldn't arm army. Nope. He'd arm army. Didn't matter. He choked me if, if he couldn't. It was just everything. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I cannot believe this. And so demoralizing. And then I told Sean about it and he's like, yeah, Brian's been doing this a long time. Yep. <laughs> you know, get over yourself. Yep. And he's like, what you need to do is you need to go roll with a white belt and you need to choke the crap out of him and then you'll be fine. Which I actually didn't do that. I usually don't do that sort of thing. But um, like I just breathed about it for a couple of days and was like, I'm not, I'm not worthless. No. Like I'm, I'm going to be close to it, but I'm not, I'm like, I'm not exactly <laughs> worthless. You know, like. <laughs> it's, you know, one of the benefits, one of the many benefits of jujitsu, I think is. Um, is how you are forced to deal with your own ego. Um, and that happens at many, many levels. That's, that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, if you come, like, if you come in as a white belt, new guy, you're athletic, you think you're hot, maybe you're good in the street fights or something like that. You're probably going to have an ego about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, very, very common to see that, see those guys come in and then, Someone smaller than them may even have the same color belt. It might be a three, four stripe white belt, but they've been doing it for six, eight, ten months. Um, or if you go with someone in you know, one of the colored belts, you're just going to get rolled up time and time again. You're going to get choked. You're going to get armbarred, and you're going to feel helpless. Um, and frankly, you are in that context. You're helpless, regardless of your of your mm -hmm. uh, athleticism. And that can be hard for a lot of people. Occasionally we'll get people that just don't come back because they can't take it. Yes. Um, that's kind of a natural filter in jujitsu. What is, uh, if you really yeah. have that big of an ego problem, you're not going to want to play. Eddie Bravo says, he's like, jujitsu is a filter for douchebags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause the douchebags just won't survive. You yeah. Won't. And, the, and to be clear there, I want to make a distinction between douchebags and people with ego. There are, there is a difference, but I, um, I've yet to meet someone who is a douchebag who doesn't have an ego. Yeah. Because that in part make kind of is necessary, I think, in being a douchebag. Yes. But. And that's typically the first experience for, uh, for men at least. I've seen women that train jujitsu typically don't have as much problem with ego, um, which is good for them. Um, but most every guy that comes and mm -hmm. trains jujitsu for the first time, you're going to get your ego slapped. And oh, that's, yeah. that's part of the process. Um, it's necessary. It is necessary. It's a good thing. Uh, as uncomfortable as it may be, it is a good thing. Um, and then once you start training for you know, a given period of time, maybe you get your blue belt or something and you, and you understand that you do know some things now. Mm -hmm. And if someone who doesn't train, um, if you roll with them, you will easily control that situation yep. and, and win. Uh, but there are so many levels the depth of knowledge in jujitsu. Um, so then if you go and roll with a, a senior person, they're going to do the same thing to you. It's going to feel like, man, I'm, I'm a white belt. I got totally dominated. Um, and that doesn't really stop, at least not for a couple decades. Sure. Uh, and it happens to black belts. You know, you get a, a black belt who is, you know, by all, all measures is a, a bad mamba jamma. Mm-hmm. But you roll with an old school black belt, 
they'll make you feel like a white belt. So your, your ego is constantly being checked. And I, I think that's, that's such a wonderful thing. And it's something that really should be embraced. Because once you set that aside, once you genuinely say, okay, I'm, I'm not the baddest guy in the room. I'm just here to learn. Uh, once you open yourself up to that, then there is so much to learn. And you can look at it as rather than, you know, this guy's better than me. It's this guy knows a lot more than I do. Mm. And this is a place where I can get that knowledge. Well, it's also too, I think, this guy's better than me today. Sure. Yeah. Which is in part how I look at it a lot of the time is um, I'm, a, I'm naturally a very competitive individual. Um, Jiu-jitsu is actually one of the few things that I do that I do. I don't, I'm not super competitive with. There are times when I will be, but it's, I was, I've talked to a couple of both Brian and Sean about this and, and Trino, in fact, our other black belt. Um, but most things outside of my life for all of my life, I've been uber competitive. Mm. Um, and, uh, when I found jujitsu for myself in particular, right. I, I reasoned very, I learned very quickly that if I am, com not that I, because I've competed before, not often, but it, it's not necessarily because I don't want to compete. It's just more other factors, but busy with stuff. But um, I realized that if I approach jujitsu and try and compete with it, like compete with jujitsu, not mm. compete in jujitsu, but mm -hmm. with jujitsu the way that I compete at other things in life, it, it won't end well for me. And it, part of that's because of what you're talking about. Like I said, I don't have a huge ego, but you know, there's some ego with comp competition. You kind of need it to compete. Oh, sure, yeah. Because it, it you know, you, you you need to be like, I can do this. You have to have the confidence. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean arrogance or douchebaggery or anything like that. It just means you have to be kind of confident in what you're doing. And there's always so much to learn that I, I realize that it it should, for me, it, it can't, it isn't about competing. It's about learning. And even if I, if I do compete, it has to be about small things, not big things, right? So usually when I grapple, I don't grapple to win. What I, like the broad scheme of winning. Like I don't mm. grapple necessarily just to choke you. Maybe I do. Sometimes it depends. Mostly I'm trying to do like one thing. Maybe it's I want to work on a certain, a certain movement or a certain concept like framing that kind of thing. I have to, I have to minimize it. Otherwise what happens is I think what happens to spazzy white belts, right? Is they, they get too consumed with whatever the end goal is, which usually is like a submission. Right. And then the shit hits the fan mm -hmm. and it's like, they just go crazy and start doing whatever their subconscious thinks is the best thing to do <laughs> in the situation. And you get hurt and it's like, I don't want to do that. Right. And so I have to be very cognizant of like, I'm going to pick one thing and if your mount, you, yours in particular is very terrible. It's a horrible mount. You should never do it. <laughs> and so like when we're, when we're rolling, like I have, like, I know that's, I'm going to get in the bottom of your mount at some point. And so like, that's what I focus on is when I get there, what, how am I going to make space? And so I just kind of slowly go through ways to make space. And if you tap me in the process, I just tap and try again. Mm -hmm. I don't think about anything else. I just say, okay, well, bridging's really hard. You have a good, you have a good mount. It's exceptionally difficult to bridge out of your mount. Um, like trap and roll is an example, mm -hmm. but, um, so I try and focus on how do I get your hips away? How do I get them up? Maybe micro bridging is the better way to do it, or just enough space to turn the hips and kick the butt out, um, what have you. And so it, uh, that for me was a good way to like level, like check that ego is to say, okay, I need to break this down to something a little bit smaller, something that's more attainable than just the broad, I'm going to win. Right. 
whatever that may be, you know, it's, um, and that actually helped me with like my personal life and my professional life too. When I was working, uh, um, doing sales jobs and stuff, like I realized like, cause I was a salesman for a long time. It, it isn't just about getting the sale. Like it's easier to just, for me to just break it down by the small things that make up a sale, like the call or the email or how the, the greeting, how you present things. Right. And so I would just focus on those. And then my sales like drastically increased like three months into doing jujitsu, which was pretty, nice. yeah, it was pretty <laughs> incredible. And so, uh, um, anyways. Oh, I was, um, you know, there, if you're at a gym that has any reasonable size, you know, more than a couple of guys training, um, you know, fear not, there will be plenty of space for you to be competitive. Yeah. And it's typically among your peers. You know, if you've been training for a while, you got a blue belt or what have you. Uh, if you train with the blue belts that started roughly the same time as you, those, you know, those guys are your peers and you know, basically all the same stuff. So there you can really test yourself mm-hmm. and, and get competitive still in a, a friendly and loving way. Um, but there, there's definitely room to push yourself and it's, it, it you know, it can turns into a test of character really. Um, but then there's going to be obviously the senior belts that, will uh will limit any ego that you may have growing but also you then have the opportunity to work with some of the lower belts and that's a great place to try some new stuff you know if you're learning a technique and you're still kind of working it out and you're rolling with one of your peers there's a real good chance you're not going to try it because you really want to win this one and you're not solid on, you just have to go with the, the old standards, the stuff you know that you're good at and, and that's your mm-hmm. often considered your A game. But if you're along with the white belts, then you can try some new stuff and you're going to have a lot more leeway. If your technique isn't perfect, you can still kind of work it out. Right, right. Um, so, you know, there's, there's plenty of room to either be competitive or to try new things or to have new things done to you that you've never seen before, mm-hmm. or you thought you knew how to defend. Um, I mean, you were talking about a trap and roll. Um, there was a point when I was a blue belt that I was working on my trap and roll, and I had the timing real good. And for the listeners, if you don't train, the trap and roll is basically, if somebody is uh, sitting on top of you, we call that the mount, um, you block one side of their... Uh, anatomy, I guess. So basically you take control of one arm and one leg. So say their right arm and their right leg, and then you roll them over. And because they can't put their right arm out or put their left leg out to act as a tripod, uh, you are able to roll them over. Uh, and like I said, I was, I was getting pretty good at that. I had my timing down and I was rolling with the black belt and he, uh, <laughs> he, he basically, I don't know if he gave it to me or just really wasn't concerned about it, but he allowed me to block both of his arms on one side. And I went to roll this man over. And I mean, he's an athletic guy, but he's not super huge. And I just ran into a brick wall. And it taught me very viscerally the the levels of even the simple techniques. Mm-hmm. You know, the trap and roll is a white belt technique. But there are are levels to how you can execute it and also how you can defend it. Yeah. And with one little weight shift, I could not budge this man. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was super eye opening because you know a couple of weeks before that, every time I roll, I got a trap and roll going. This is now part of my game. Yep. Yep. Feeling good about it, uh, and then just uh, nope, still got a ways to go. <laughs> Uh, but it's good. Again, it's that it you know it keeps your ego in check, and if your ego is in check, 
then and only then will you really be able to learn new things. So. Yeah, very true. What is what is your favorite part of jujitsu? My favorite part of jujitsu, man. It could be a move. It could be a uh, a guard. It could be a mental issue, mental aspect. It could be. It doesn't matter. Physical, mental. I think in, man, that's a great question. Probably what I consider mat therapy. And that, let me delve into that a little bit. Let me unpack that to use the parlance of the day. Um, Critically engage with. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so mat therapy, basically, it just, it hints to um, how much better you feel after you train. And there, there are a few reasons for that. So it's, Jiu-jitsu is very physically demanding, mm -hmm. um, which is good. It's a very good form of exercise and total body exercise, which is great. Um, so there's that. There is also the camaraderie that comes with uh, when you're quite frankly, quite frankly, that intimate with somebody. I mean, you're you know, you're wrestling with another human being, uh, trying to choke each other or dislocate each other's limbs. But at the end, uh, you know, you stop and smile at each other and shake hands and do it again or go do it with somebody else. Uh, there's a camaraderie that comes with that that really, it requires a level of intensity in the activity. And it's a similar thing to people that um, train team sports together, like football or something, and they're all working really hard. There's a camaraderie that comes with that. And again, you know, hearkening back to the, what, uh, what jujitsu does to manage one's ego, you know, if everybody's in that environment, everybody's cool. Um, I have yet to truly meet a douchebag in jujitsu. Um, I've seen them, but they usually get bounced out real quick, but yeah. somebody who's actually had any length of time in jujitsu, they're almost guaranteed to be cool. Everybody's super friendly and welcoming. And, you know, if I've gone to other gyms, everybody's super cool about it. Um, so it's a really good group of people to be spending that kind of time with. And then I would also say, particularly in, in modern day society, just having some form of um, intense exercise for the mental aspects of it. Meaning when you um, train super hard, whether it's jujitsu or weight training or whatever you're doing, um, how that changes your biochemistry, the release of dopamine. Um, I think those are all really, really essential things for our biology as human beings, yes. as physically easy as, as everything has become in modern day society, um, our biology has not evolved past um, where we had to work really hard every day just to survive, just physicality mm -hmm. of, of what it is to be human. And that's changed so much in the last couple of hundred years um, that we need to find a way to get that back just to simply have our, our bodies and our brains function correctly. Yeah. Um, all of which is to say after a really hard training, typically my, my mood in general and my outlook on life is so much better. Um, so, you know, mat therapy for me is, you know, how I feel after I train the physical exercise I get and the camaraderie of just being around good people and working really hard, uh, to learn something new. I like it. Yeah. Um, I have a short uh, math therapy story. Um, 
my old job used to actually be pretty close to the gym here. And, um, again, mentioned earlier, I was very burnout with my job and, uh, I was good at it, but burnout. And I decided to, I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and then yeah. decided to change my entire life. Um, very shortly after doing jujitsu. And, um, so I immediately went to my boss and started to ask to work part-time. And then my sales went up when she finally allowed me to do it. Like it was a good situation for me. I basically kind of brought part of his vision to life. Nice. And, um, one Friday she, uh, my boss pulls me into the office and at the time she pulled me into the office and she was like, I'm gonna need to start working full-time again. And she didn't give me any good reasons why they're like, they weren't. And I was very uns- upset about this because I'd done very well. My sales literally went up like 30%. And, um, thought everything was good and it had been like a month or two. And so I'm like pissed cause I was teaching kids classes and that's part of the reason I wanted to work part time is so I could do kids classes during the day. And so I come in after work on Friday to, uh, to an open mat we had and Sean's here and I'm like just stressed and angry and like really fucking pissed off. And, um, Sean comes in and I'm like, he's like, Hey, what do you want to go over today? And I was like, I'm in a really fucking bad mood, Sean. I had a, I've had a really shitty day. What do you think we should learn to help with my shitty day? And he's like, let's roll. So him and I, you know, and he, right now he's a, a upper level purple belt and he's you know always outranked me and always kicked my ass regardless of his tiny size. <laughs> and he's, he's like, let's roll. And so we rolled for an hour before class, just straight up for, we didn't stop. Like That's it, a long time, ladies and gentlemen. It was just straight up for an hour. Like there was no timer. We just rolled until it was time to clean the mats before class started. And I ended up staying for, you. I was going to stay for like an hour instead of like two or three. And I'm staying for an additional two and a half hours hmm. and um, rolled after classes for about half an hour. And I was in such a better mood. Like I came home a little bit later than I wanted and you know, texted my girlfriend and told her, but I came home and she knew I was upset because I had went home before I came back. And, um, I was just all smiles. Like I, I literally just grappled all of the stress out of my body. And like, I slept like a baby in part because I, you know, grappled for three and a half hours. But, <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those things where like, whenever I'm having a bad day, like even if I teach kids, you can't really do much with nine-year-olds cause you'll, you know, you'll kill them. And so it hurt them really bad. So you have to be pretty gentle with them, which is fine. But even when I'm stressed out and I'm grappling with the kiddos, still works. Yeah. It's like that therapy is real. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, a very sophisticated stress ball. <laughs> right? <laughs> well said. Yes. Yes. Very sophisticated stress ball. Very complicated. But um, it, it, yeah, I totally agree. I like, uh, I'm a big, uh, big math therapy fan. Um, for me, it's the the mental aspect. I, I, I like the blending of the mental and the physical. Yeah. And so therapy kind of fits into that. Um, but it's, you need some form of physicality to do jujitsu, right? You don't need a lot of it, but you need some, you need to be able to move to some degree. Right. Um, but this sport is much more mental than it is physical, at least for me. And I think for a lot of people now, if you're very athletically gifted and you have the patience for the cerebral, the cerebral part of uh, this, this art, you'll do very well. That's your, that's basically what world champions are. They're like absurdly physical specimens. Most of them. And they have the fortitude to like get through the mental aspects of this because it's hard. Yeah. Um, and then you have someone like Marcelo Garcia who comparatively doesn't look that like, like, like that physical of a specimen. Um, even though he is, he just. Right. Doesn't look it, but. No, you see most of the guys. Grab you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you know, he, for him, it's much more cerebral. 
And um, and he, you know he's got his athletic gifts. He doesn't look like he does, but um, for a lot of them though, they're just like really good athletes. Absolutely. I heard a story about Marcelo Garcia. I haven't fact checked this, but no reason to doubt it. Um, he uh, he's known for his grip strength. Yeah. And somebody gave him one of those grip testers where you squeeze it as hard as you can. That's yeah. how you got X amount of pounds of pressure on it. He broke it. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. Bottomed it out and broke it. So yeah, <laughs> and for, when it comes to grip. Yeah, and for people who don't know Marcelo Garcia, he um, a Brazilian fella. Um, he's he's actually he's considered by many to be the pound for pound greatest grappler, at least of it, for sure of his generation, if yeah, not of all sure. time. Yep. Um, like Hickson is was a, a lot bigger, um, and there are people who actually don't think that Hickson was the best grappler of all time. Um, I think that that could be argued. Um, his uh, like one of his cousins, Hodger Gracie, is very good and like forty pounds heavier and seven inches taller. Yeah, Hodger's a big dude. So it'd be interesting to see that fight. But um, but Marcelo, he's five seven, five eight, one hundred and sixty pounds, one hundred and seventy pounds. He's tree trunk legs. Like he's huge yeah. legs. But he's like a lot of a lot of the guys. You know, they have diet plans. They they uh, work out. They weight lift. You know, ten percent, eight percent body fat when they show up. They've cut twenty pounds. Marcelo, he he only grapples. He doesn't lift weights or anything. He only grapples, and he doesn't really nutrition. He probably eats better when he's you know competing. But he's never really mentioned that he has like a strict nutritionist diet. No six pack. You know, just like a, he looks like ha, some of the competitions I've seen him, he has a dad bod. Yeah. No, he's very normal looking dude. Yeah. Very normal. And he just has this absurd, um, like his strength is quite absurd, but it, it, just his ability to anticipate and be where he needs to be at all times. Yeah. And, um, and then also the fact that he can, his choke, his choke strength is just something to behold, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that makes me think of another, another aspect of jujitsu that I think is very, very healthy particularly for young men. And that's um, having the experience of someone that you never would have guessed, um, whether you know, maybe they got a dad bod or they're smaller than you or, or what have you, um, getting rolled up by somebody like that, it makes you question your assumptions of everybody. Yeah. So when you get to the point where you come into class and you know that all these people that you never would have suspected can, can roll you up, uh, when you're out in the real world, yeah, it's like, wow, uh, I'm going to be less likely to start anything because you never know. So at least for me, what I found is the more skill that I got and the, you know, the quote unquote better I've got in, in terms of being able to handle myself in a situation, the less likely I'm in to, I am to get into a situation yeah. because you never know. You just don't. What if this other guy has been training for 20 years? Yeah. Because you can't tell by looking at somebody unless, you know, if they let their collar flower ears go or something. But other than that, you just never know. You really do. Yeah. yeah until the altercation starts. Exactly. Though so, I, I will say this, if you did run into somebody in an altercation who had been maybe doing jujitsu for 20 years, you'd probably have a better chance of diffusing the situation between the two of you. Well, you, you wouldn't start it in the first place. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I think but, that's the ultimate. I mean, I, you know, I say that because that, it gives you the perspective of you never know, but I think the reality when it comes to people that train jujitsu and self-defense. They're not looking to fight. Exactly. If if something is going down and somebody's picking a fight with you and, and you are you know required to defend yourself, uh, odds are 
really, really, really good. That person does not know jujitsu because yeah. if they did, they wouldn't be out picking fights. So one of our brown belts, uh, Tom Humphreys, he's a he's a associate math professor mm -hmm. at the college Bothell UW UW Bothell. Yep, he's a math dork. Yep, you know he's dad now is like his kid's like nine months old. He's you know um, absurdly inflexible. You, when you see him like on the street, like he just looks like a math dork. He's got yep. like a, a beard he needs to trim a little bit. He, he's got his glasses and just like a normal guy, you know, that is walking around with like a backpack reading a math book. And you're like, oh, it's just a nerd. And, and then I watch him stretch and he can barely stretch. He can't bring his knees up anywhere. Like he just has no flexibility whatsoever. And yeah, I'm way more athletic than Thomas. <laughs> just way more athletic. And like we've even talked about it. Like the like I you know he just because he knows he's like I'm not an athletic guy. He's like I don't have flexibility at all. Like flexibility is like the worst thing about me. <laughs> like, and, but you roll with him, and you know even though he doesn't have flexibility, like he still manages to make everything work. Yep. And he fucks you up. Yeah. You know, and it, like having more flexibility would obviously help, but it's like every you know you just don't. You're right. You just don't know sometimes. Yeah. Well, and that brings up to kind of the. Uh, the adaptability of jujitsu, mm -hmm. meaning <clears throat> you don't have to be that type of physical specimen. Um, you do most likely if you want to compete, but to just learn jujitsu for your own self, there are a tremendous amount of limitations that you can work around. You yeah. don't need to be the most flexible. You can be a bit overweight. Uh, most likely that situation will improve. But there are big guys, big big fat guys that are fantastic at jujitsu. Um, there are people with you know severe uh, physical limitations that still train. There's a guy, um, Jean Jacques Machado, mm -hmm. and he's old school. He's been around forever and ever. I think he's a coral belt now. Oh yeah. Um, and he was a he was a world champion for a number of years running. A two or three. Yeah. yeah. And his uh, one of his hands is basically kind of missing all the fingers, so he's got a thumb and a little pincher type thing going on. And a on. pinky, yeah, yeah. And, a, and a pinky. So he can't he can't grab onto your clothing or anything with that hand. Uh, and yet he was a world champion. He, was, he found a way to adapt that. And then actually, the you know the game of jujitsu itself benefited from that because he developed ways to not have to grab onto the clothing, but to yeah. use his hands as hooks and, and things like that. And he was actually quite um, good at collar chokes too. Yeah, <laughs> which was I, I always felt I've watched a decent amount of his footage, and he yeah. he was pretty good at collar chokes, even though it's like pretty hard to grab a collar with just a thumb and a and, and I think it's actually half of a pinky, but I'm not sure yeah. on that. He doesn't have a, any of the uh, the in, in three middle fingers. But, yeah, um, yeah, the adaptations. Yeah, so it will work for most people. If you think that you know you don't want to do jujitsu just because you're not an athletic specimen, not true at all. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is jujitsu for you, for sure. Have you ever grappled with your eyes closed? Mm-hmm. Quite often, actually. I started doing that before uh, a couple months before the pandemic. Um, one of our brown belts told me to start doing it, and because uh, I noticed that he's when he grapples his mark, he'll like stare off into space. Mm -hmm. So sometimes he's staring at you, but like he, he, you can tell he doesn't see you, right? Because he's like literally not looking at you. He's just staring off into space. But he doesn't close his eyes. He just kind of drifts off. Yeah. And I asked him about it, and he's like, just close your eyes and grapple. And that just reaffirmed what, what I love about the mental aspects of jiu-jitsu so much. Because 
doing this stuff while you see it. You're naturally going to be, until your muscle memory kicks in, you're going to be half a second, a second too slow because from the time it takes you to understand what you've seen and then to react to it, mm-hmm. right? And so as people get better, then they react as they see, or they actually react to intentionality before you actually see it, right? Yep. Technically, I think that's how it works. And so it's why you'll flinch before you actually see something, right? Because mm-hmm. you, your body will feel that it's there and then you'll notice it. Um, and that's what it's like to grapple with your eyes closed, right? Is that you, you have to learn how to feel weight and mm-hmm. movement and intention. And um, that's my favorite part of jujitsu is, is the minutia mentally of trying to figure that out. Oh yeah. Dude, big uh, time. And how that meshes with the physical, cause you know, it, it is all physical. Like it's right. You, we're doing a physical sport, but how to figure that out and how to understand what's happening to my body, to your body. Like sometimes your breath will give away what you're trying to do. Just that alone. Yep. You know, sometimes like the hip switch, like you see, you were talking about being in the mount or being in the bottom of mount and you're, uh, you know, the black belt, like just move their body a bit and then you bridge into a wall and it's mm-hmm. like, you really start to figure that out and then it's like, you know what to do because your, yeah. your, your body's like, oh, well they lowered this side of the hip. So I got to go the other way, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, that well, I love. I was that, that, uh, that particular story, the brick wall story, uh, I would say is very connected to me being sitting here right now. And the reason I say that is, um, that was one of my first experiences with the power of, of the small details. Yep. Um, so I started kind of looking into that, uh, checking out YouTube videos and things, and I came across uh, Pedro Sauer, who is the uh, um, captain of this team, or how would you call that? He's it's a, the Pedro Sauer team, so yeah, he's the namesake. He's, yeah, he's technically the, um, the, we're under his foundation. Yeah. He's, he's the one he's who the gave, Bri- yeah, he's the one who gave Brian his black belt. He's, he's the OG. He's amazing. Uh, but you know, watching some of his videos and going over some of those small details, mm-hmm. uh, and, and working those into my game, I, I came to appreciate the value of, you know, the quote unquote white belt moves, the very basic stuff, but done at a very high level. Um, so I started focusing on that and, uh, in, in seeing Pedro Sauer and, and what he was teaching and, and appreciate that so much. Um, when the whole thing with Gracie Baja blew up here, um, I saw this was a Pedro Sauer school, so I, I definitely wanted to come and check it out and was so happy that I did. Um, yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of different schools of thought, right? I should say there's probably two main schools of thought when it comes to, near as I can tell when it comes to learning jujitsu, the one is learning new things. So you want to, you see this a lot with competitors. They want to learn, they want to kind of be on the cutting edge of what's new mm-hmm. so that they can throw things at their competitors that their competitors aren't really prepared for. Right. Um, you could actually argue though, this isn't actually the case, but you could, you could have made an argument three years ago for the Danaher death squad for doing this with leg locks. And that isn't what they're actually doing, but because no one else did leg locks three years ago, they just destroyed everybody in submission only tournaments because no one knew what to do. Right. Um, what they actually do is they focus on the fundamentals of every little aspect of submissions and of positions. And then they, actively try and exploit the ones that no one are no one are doing right now because it's a winning strategy but um so there's a, it's a, there's a bit of a difference but and then the second this the other more fundamental one that you see is mastering whatever those basics are and then just doing those forever yep which is what a lot which is what the old school black belts and coral belts and stuff 
that's what they preach because they've been following the Gracie model for since the twenties, nineteen twenties. Yeah, and um, well, I mean, there's there's validity in both. Yeah, if you look back when, um, when Eddie Bravo fought Hoyler, um, Eddie Bravo, an American dude, um, <clears throat> fighting Hoyler Gracie. I want to say this was like ninety three or something. Uh, and I believe at the time he was the first American guy to beat a Gracie. Yeah. It, was, it was a big, big deal to beat a Gracie. At ADCC, actual, yeah. Yeah, an actual family member. And he went on to get third, actually, if I yeah. remember right, yeah. Um, and the the way he was able to do that is Eddie Bravo was kind of developing some of his own techniques at the time. Mind you, his fundamentals were still very sound. They have to be. Um, but he had some new stuff which has become fairly common now. Um, and a, a bit of it requires some uh, somewhat extreme flexibility. So it's not for everybody. But um, the point being, he was able to throw some things at Hoyler that Hoyler hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And his own, at his own admission, um, they, were, they were tricks. They were techniques that Hoyler didn't know, so he was able to make them work. Uh, so there's definitely a value in having a couple tricks up your sleeve that your opponent has not seen. Uh, and, and by the same token to try to keep abreast of what the latest techniques are, uh, even if you just want to know how they work so that you can defend them. Yeah. Uh, that's important. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, being able to master the very basics. If you look at a guy like Hodger Gracie, he has (laughs) a very, very, what you would call a, you know, a basic game. The techniques he uses are the same techniques you're going to learn in your first six months of any class. But his ability to execute those with such skill um, <clears throat> makes it m- makes him, you know, very, very successful as a competitor. And people will know, you know, his opponents will know what he is doing. They and will they will see the move coming, and they still can't do a thing about it. He's the only person I've ever seen who has successfully pulled off an armbar from the guard in at Worlds. I'm pr- I, I think it was a semifinals, but I'm pretty sure in a semifinals, of, like in 2008 or something, in the Gi, in like the IBGJF Gi World Championships, he armbarred another black belt from the guard. Even though the armbar from the guard, I, I've, I, I've never heard any other person on YouTube ever claim that it, it is useful against anyone who's not a white belt or doesn't train. Because you learn how to defend it, and it's actually not that hard to defend it unless they yeah. do it well. But he's so good at the armbar from the guard that he could still catch a black belt. Like, not even just a black belt, like a world-class one. Yeah. And not to mention, he's also the only person I've ever really seen do a cross-collar choke from the mount. Quite often. Yeah, that's one of his go-tos. Like, he did that for, like, six years. Yep. And I remember I was listening to John Danaher talk about this. Um, I forget who he was talking to, but uh, he was talking about this. Because Hadra Gracie has won more world championships than anyone else ever. Mm. When you add them all up, it's a lot. And he, um, Gi, no Gi, ADCC, doesn't matter. And uh, at one point in like 05 or something, he moved to London and opened up his own gym. And from like 05 to 2008, he won like every tournament. And he just cross-collar choked everyone along the way (laughs) while training with white and blue belts because he opened up his own gym in London all he had is like blue belts to train yeah. with. So he managed to not only cross collar choke people, but then to refine the cross collar choke so that they couldn't defend it again the next year. Cause he was grappling the same people. Right. 
while training, while figuring that out with blue belts. And it's like cross collar chokes aren't necessarily like from the mountain particularly, they can be kind of tricky to get. And it, if you have a big enough neck and you, you just kind of tuck your chin, like it's, they're hard to do. Yep. And he's just like, I don't care. And this guy's six, four, 225 pounds. He's an athletic dude. Yeah. And he's athletic, but compared to the other guys he goes against, he's like, he looks kind of gangly compared to him because he's right. pretty tall. But these, the guys he's with, they're, they're, they're bull necked and they're really athletic and they're huge. And it's like, they know what's coming and they're strong and they're good. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to collar choke you anyways, because I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> you know, you'll never see him invert and do it, try a heel hook. He's just going right. <laughs> to do a butterfly sweep to mount and then he's going to collar choke you. Yep. And that's it. He just over and over and over again. And it, and he's like the best in the world at it. He probably still is, even though he hasn't competed in 10 years. Yeah. Um, or not 10, but it's been a couple, but I think the other thing too, with like trying new stuff is at least this is the old school argument here, as I can tell at some point, you're going to get old enough to where you can't do everything. Correct. Either because of injuries or just age. Right. So inverting can be tough. Um, doing the barambolo can be difficult, especially if you have neck issues over time, if you get mm -hmm. hurt a lot. Um, and so when you're 85, you may not be able to barambolo anymore. So <laughs> not likely. Yeah. And so it's <clears throat> like at that point, you know, you're in your seventies, eighties, whatever, and you're still mobile. You kind of got to go back to what you can do, which is the basic movements. And if you spend all of your life only doing the new thing, doing the crab guard or the donkey guard or right. squid guard or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> Keenan Cornelius is coming out with. Um, you may not be able to do that, but if you just do the basic stuff, you'll all, you'll just get better and better at it. And, that's kind of the old school argument near as I sure. can tell. Um, well, it, it depends on your goal quite a bit as well. Meaning, also, yeah. Uh, if you are looking to be competitive at competitions in, in the sport of jujitsu and you want to go against, you know, other people that are committing themselves to being good in competition, that's one thing. And there it is going to be important that you're at least aware of what the Baron Bolo is. Even if you don't do it, yeah. Exactly. Um, so you can see him come in and, and defend. On the flip side, the origins of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I won't say jiu-jitsu because actually that goes back to Japan and da da da, da. When we say jiu-jitsu, we mean Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The origins of BJJ are from a self-defense mm -hmm. standpoint. So there were no points or refs or, or any of that. Um, and there was, you know, your opponent might be trying to hit you in the face as well. How are you going to deal with that? And that changes quite a bit. Uh, if someone can punch you in the face, then you're probably not going to try and invert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so if your goal is to get good at self-defense, then that may change what it is you want to focus on. Cause those old school techniques, those were all developed with self-defense in mind. Correct. Yeah. The newer stuff, which I won't say it's, you know, it's any less relevant, but in the context of a competition, it's one thing, it can be effective and it can win matches. Uh, but if without the rule set of a competition, a lot of that is going to be null and void when someone, someone is hammering you in the nose. Or at least will need to be adapted. And there's, yeah. there is a lot that you're just simply not going to want to do. Yeah. Depending so, on your surroundings. Most of the time you're not going to want to just go to the ground. Right. Immediately. And then, you know, try and do some kind of X guard. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, you know. that, that's not going to be recommended. So for me, you know, when, what I want to take away from, you know, aside from all of, you know, the mat therapy and stuff like that, but I, I definitely want to be able to defend myself mm-hmm. if I get in some sort of scuffle in the street. So for myself, I prefer to just focus on the basics. Yep. Uh, with a couple of exceptions, I naturally have uh, pretty flexible hips. So Fuck you. <laughs> there's a couple <laughs> items that I'll work in, but even those, those were developed, you know, kind of the 10th planet stuff for an MMA context. Yeah. So if it's, you know, if someone can, is allowed to punch me in the face and I can still do this technique then I consider it valuable, but I'm not really big on yeah. going for inversions and bare balls and things like that. It's just not, not something I want to spend the time on. And that's another thing is the people that you see on TV, whether it's UFC or BJJ competitions, those athletes are spending way more time on this than I can or even want to you know that's that's their main thing they're training five six days a week do a two days and and all that kind of thing that's the type of commitment that is required to be successful in that arena that's Mm -hmm. fantastic that's not what i'm trying to do that's that's not what i want to get out of jujitsu i want to be able to come three four five days a week and uh, just have my own training at the hobby level but at the end of the day i still want to be able to defend myself so to that end, I want to focus on the basics. I want to get really, really good at those so that if I have to use them, they'll be applicable. No, very, very true. I, yeah. I think it's um, Gordon Ryan, what you were saying about uh, MMA guys working really hard reminds me of Gordon Ryan. He's kind of a polarized figure, at least among competitors, because he talks a lot of shit. Yep. Um, and my assumption, just based on things I've seen, is that he does it on purpose. I don't know if he necessarily dislikes everybody. I think he just tries to do it to generate. He's like a pro, like promos and stuff. Like, he's, you know, wants to it works, get average. Yeah. It works, but he also backs it up. And he backs it up. But one of the things I've heard him say repeatedly that, um, is that, uh, he calls out other competitors for their lack of commitment. And I, he's like, you know, I do, this is my job. Like, I'm not going to allow. You know, as an example, he always rails against COVID and he's, you know, he talks a lot of crap about, uh, whatever, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, mm-hmm. he lives in New York. And he's like, you know, my job is essential to my lifestyle. So I'm going to train because I don't, this is my job. Like, this isn't a hobby for me. Right. It's like, I train seven days a week and I have a strict diet and I'm in here eight hours a day. And he's like, that's why I kick the shit out of everybody is because they train two, they have two training sessions a day, five days a week. You know, they're training pretty intensely with good people, but then they have a lazy weekend or they take four days off. He's like, I don't take a day off. He's like, I was in one day after I won world ADCC. He's like, I was in and I trained getting ready for whatever's next, even though I've beaten everybody. And he's like, I think that's kind of part of it too. Um, with, uh, why jujitsu isn't as big as it could be is because I think he's right. At least it seems to me that he may be correct in that assumption that I'll like the sport would probably be bigger like MMA is getting bigger if people trained more. I think that's just the natural <clears throat> evolution of, of any kind of world class yeah. competition. Right, exactly. If you get someone that is genuinely competitive, I'm not. I'm, I'm a little competitive, but when like, an actual competitor, I'm not that. Um, but if you are that competitive and you will basically do whatever it takes to win, if that is your primary goal, no matter what then it's just a race of, of how much time can you put in? How dedicated can you be? What mm-hmm. can you sacrifice uh, 
to uh, to become a better competitor. Right, right, and, a and lot. that's that's true for any arena. Any, it is any yeah. sports sales. I mean, like the yeah. the true high level sales guys. Um, yeah, they will uh, they will forego conscience. Sometimes the law, you know, whatever it takes, yeah. uh, and put in super, super, super long hours. 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Yep. Yeah, yep. forego family and yep. relationships, and, you know, just to, to be number one. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's their right to do. It's not necessarily a bad thing, um, unless you're not willing to make those sacrifices and then it may not be right for you. Right. So I'm much more in your boat. I, I want to be, I want to be competent. Yes. Whether it's on the street or on the mat, I want to be competent. Yes. Um, I'm much more, for me personally, I'm, I, I have the much more of the old school mindset. Like I, I like doing small things. And so the basics are easier for me to, to think about doing the small concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, proper framing techniques. I, I actually, I gave up a long time ago trying to think about moves and move sets. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, this is how you do it. You know, this is, if you get here, you do an arm bar. Like I stopped doing that a long time ago. It was more of... Like in what positions am I looking, what am I trying to do in a given position and how does that translate to a different position and yes. a different, right? And so, you know, breaking posture is the same almost anywhere. Yep. Like your goal is the same. So what things can I do to break posture everywhere or cover my own posture or keep my posture, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and since, you know, I'm, I'm still a blue belt, I'm a four stripe blue belt. I was actually going to take my purple belt test before COVID happened. Don't. Yep. I was scheduled to do it like a week before, after we closed. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So we were going we to have Pedro out at the end of March. I was going to take the uh, test before Pedro got here. And um, and then we closed two weeks, a week before he got here. And then we closed two weeks before he got here. Yeah. Um, but. I never got my money back for that. I didn't ask for it. So hopefully if we never get him back out, I can still go to that yeah. seminar. No, no, you can. Yeah, yeah. I, I control all that stuff. So okay, cool. it will be good. Um, but I, I, when I kind of gave up on the idea of like moves and stuff and sort of focusing more on concepts a couple of years ago. I was like, well, I'm not really good still. You know, one, two stripe blue belt, whatever. I'm not very good at doing basic stuff anyways. Like I'm still a blue belt. So I might as well just try and figure it out with this stuff. And so I just got smashed for another year and a half trying to figure out like how to shrimp properly yeah. or why I would even want to shrimp or like how to frame from the bottom of mount or how to just not get choked mm-hmm. or tap to pressure. And um, what I found is that as you do that more and more, I just got destroyed by everyone. White belts too, even. You know, they figure some stuff out and maybe they're bigger than me and it's easy to hold me down or whatever. I'm trying to figure out one tiny thing. Even though they're like running a rough shot, I'm like, well, I still got to, I just want to work on the frame. I'm not going to block the choke. I'm just going to work on the frame. And, or maybe I'm just going to block the choke and leave the arm on, you know, not really thinking about it, but just try not to get choked. And then all of a sudden I started to get better at all those little things. And then I could get out of, get out of mount, the bottom of mount. And then I could escape side control a whole hell of a lot easier. And then everyone's easy to sweep now. Or easier, you know. And then all of a sudden, like, I remember one day I just started choking people. All of a sudden, my guillotine started to work. I don't know why. But all of a sudden, like, it just fits in the right place. And then everyone just getting the shit choked out of them. <laughs> and I went over to um, to Sean's current gym. And because he had, he moved gyms. And uh, um, they're all very competitive over there. They're much, we're not a super competitive gym for yeah. those who are listening. Uh, which is totally fine. Uh, we're yeah. much more self-defense oriented. And I'm one of the few people who actually does compete. And I've only done it once. Um, but, uh, our buddies, uh, new gym, they're very competitive. They're all very, very good high level. Mm-hmm. And, um, I used to go over there like every Saturday for their open mats and grapple. So uh, it's nice to get some high level, highly competitive grappling in with their blue, purple and white and brown belts. And like, sure. and it's, they're all like super nice and they just fuck me up. Yep. 
doesn't matter. And we, it's it mostly, they mostly do no gi. A lot of the guys, everyone who shows up on Saturday says no gi. And so it's nice because I don't really know what belt they are. I don't care. I just go and have fun. And I try new things every time I go. I'm like, I want to stick with, I'm only going to enter into leg locks whole time. That's all I'm going to do. Cause I know I'm well enough to do that. And at least I know most of them well enough to do that. Or I'm only going to try an arm bar, you know, and, or I'm yeah. only going to, I'm only going to be defensive and try and get out of their, whatever they're doing on top. And one day I went and I was like, I'm only going to try and guillotine and, ch- and rear naked choke people. That's it. Just guillotines and rear naked chokes. That's only submission I'm going to go for. And I'm constantly going to try and be on top. I'm going to bail out, you know, uh, um, hip heist, come up into a um, stand up and base or whatever, and then stay on top and try and guillotine. And because I started to choke more people here. And I don't think I'd ever actually tapped anyone out there because they're all very good. And I think I tapped three or four people out there. Ooh. Which isn't really to brag. It's just like, it, it was like, you know, it started to work. I was like, okay, yeah. you know, like not a lot. It, it might've happened once per round with a couple of different individuals. And usually they tend to run roughshod over me, at least so it feels. And I was like, okay, like, I don't know why, but stuff's falling into place. And I think it's because I've just been doing the same thing for six months, a year. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I'm figuring out the minutia and the small details of like yes. where the wrist needs to be, like how high I want it, you know, how deep do I want the elbow, like, you know, where's that little point on my forearm where their neck needs to be so it's uncomfortable and the chin strap grip, like all that kind of lovely stuff. Um, and that goes back to the mental aspect of it for me. Like that's what I'm, that's what keeps me coming back every day. That's why I still train every day by myself is I'll, I'll, I'll train small stuff like that with whatever tools I have here to train, you know. Um, I'm, I've currently been going over a knee cut pass for like two weeks mm. and I just practice like small little micro n- movements of the knee cut pass. Nice. Which is basically just like, you know, a, a squat, you know, like a lunge, right? You yeah. could look at it as simple as being a lunge and then go from there. Yeah. And, um, even though it's, ta- you know, obviously it's not a lunge, but it movement's similar and then you just kind of progress from there. And, uh, that's what, that's what keeps me coming back is like, how can I make that one tiny movement just a little bit better Dude, the magic's in the details it is for me in particular <clears throat> and um and that's when i yeah that's uh i got hooked really quickly on that and it's like i think that's why i've never had a bad day is that yeah. it, it's just like okay well if today i wasn't able to make any of that work then i need to make it simpler i was trying to do too much you know because i think it's like a white belt in particular like or if you're maybe even as a blue belt you're purple belt you're going up against someone who you know is better maybe it's another brown belt or a black belt and it's like I'm only going to work on escaping the mount, which is like a really big concept. It's like, there's a lot of ways you can right. escape the mount, you know? Um, and it's like, that never worked for me. Like I always found out they would pass, someone would pass my guard. So like, I'd be rolling with the purple belt and be like, okay, today they're not going to pass my guard. It's like, well, it's not a plan. <laughs> like, how are you going to stop them from passing your guard? Cause there's like a thousand ways to pass the guard. Right. And so maybe you just need to focus on, I'm not going to let them touch my feet. That might be a better way. Yeah. They're, they're standing, I'm seated. They don't touch my feet. I don't care if they get to my head, they're not touching my feet. And then it's harder for them to pass, you know, pass the guard or I'm never going to allow my knee and my elbow to, to separate. Yeah. Then it's really hard to pass the guard because you actually can't really pass the guard if the elbow and the knee don't separate. Yeah. And when I learned that, that became the new game is was like, I don't care how good you are. You're not separating my elbow and my knee. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> and so that's all I would focus on. And so I got into a lot of turtle because of it, because you just kind of roll over. But right. <laughs> it was like, and I learned that from you because you're actually really good at stopping people from separating your knee and your elbow. That's kind of flexible, flexible, but yeah, could. but it's, I was like, that's how I'm going to need, I want to, I want to do that because maybe I don't, maybe I have a hard time stopping someone from passing my guard, but 
or passing my legs, but if they can't get between my knee and my elbow, it's not going to matter anyways. Exactly. You haven't passed until you get in that space. Exactly. And so you have to have that space. And so it's like, but then from there, I started to learn new things. And then I would piecemeal them together and be like, okay, well, they're trying to pass, but all they're doing is getting to north south, but it's not really doing anything for them. And so then I can retain guard, right? I can move a bit, loosen up and then come back. And then I learn when to break that rule. When can I separate the elbow from the knee and, um, to like regard and things like that. I had a similar experience with, with pressure. Um, and there's, there's kind of two aspects of pressure. There's physical pressure when you're actually like smushing somebody and then there's pressure where you're always attacking with different uh, techniques and things like that. But mm-hmm. I mean the actual physical pressure and that came about the same time when I was discovering Pedro and also looking into like Henry Akins, mm-hmm. who was uh, directly under Hickson and, and Hickson himself. Um, it's just, you know, what can I do to absorb space to rest as much of my body onto you and make you deal with it? Um, and by trying to reduce that space, which is a, it's a common thing of, you know, no space, no space, no space. Mm-hmm. The Brazilians will tell you that. So I just focused on that. That was the one thing, like no matter what yeah. I'm doing, just reduce space. And it helped virtually everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, pick out the the small little details to work on and just work on. My, uh, so like I mentioned, I've been training like most every day I'm here and I'm like, I'm alone. I'm not breaking the law and training with people, but, um, I have, uh, a couple of different like grappling dummies that I use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of them's, you know, like a full body. It's like, I think if you stand it straight up, it'd be like six feet tall, but it's like bent knee and it's canvas and it's filled with like, uh, cut up you know, clothes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so it's, it's moderately functional for some things. And then I have a, uh, it's called a combat X trainer. It's like a yoga ball, but it's like oddly shaped. There's like tiny little nubs on it. There's five nubs on it. that kind of sit out like a really fat baby. <laughs> um, so they're like tiny arm nubs and then leg nubs. And then there's like a head nub. And if you look at it, you can kind of tell that it looks like a, like a fat baby on its back or like a fat cat or something, you know? <laughs> And, um, but it's the size of a yoga ball. And so it's, 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 it's good for balancing. Um, and you can grab the nubs and move them for certain things. And there's things you can't do. Like you can't really choke it. It's too big and it's not really a neck, but, um, I spend most of my time for the last few months, like driving as hard as I can and taking up as much space as I can pressure into both of those things because they don't tap. They're not human. Like it doesn't hurt them. Right. Cause that's the big thing is like, trying to figure out pressure against someone you need to do it a lot because at first you're going to try really hard and you're going to get gassed out well yeah it's counterintuitive good yeah. pressure requires you to relax and that's the last thing that you want to do exactly when you're so, rolling with somebody so what i found people tend to do is they like drive super hard into it and then they start to learn they can relax and so um because their body gets used to the driving hard and so it's not as hard for you to do it you know you kind of have the stamina to do it but also like you kind of learn when to relax in the mm-hmm. body because the body's moving. And um, and so I'm like, well, if I do this with kids to try and figure out pressure, like they're going to tap super quick because they're kids. And I do it with white belts, it'll work. But like, I don't know if it's good or not because I'm doing it against like brand new students who don't really have any, like it's just uncomfortable and terrifying. Sure. And sometimes it hurts. And so with blue belts, it's a good gauge, but anyone else, it's like, maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Like I have to ask everybody. And so right. I was like, well, if I'm going to do this alone, I'm just going to consistently think about focusing all my weight onto one point and driving 
And then as I start to work really hard, I'm going to peel it back a bit, right? Because you need to do that. You need to peel back and relax. But I want to at least know that I'm putting pressure and then relax myself so that I don't burn out. And my hope is that when we come back and we can finally grapple that I will have turned that into like absurdly good pressure. It probably won't happen. It's probably all in my head, but I'm going to, I'm going to be very pleased when I just crush everybody because I spent, <laughs> I spent the last six, eight months, nine months, however long this is going to go on for trying to pop a, a yoga ball with pressure, <laughs> <Like> <laughs> just doing everything I can to push into it as hard as possible. Yeah. It's my hope that that'll translate into like severe uncomfort for everyone I grapple with <laughs> so I can develop that. <laughs> well, I tell you, man, if you, could, uh, if you can combine those two, if you find the, you know, if you're driving your shoulder into somebody, uh, if, if you get the angle right, you know, you're dialed in, you got that pressure and then physically relax, mm -hmm. uh, but still driving that pressure. So you're not super tense. Like, that's yeah, that's mush, what mush, I'm working mush. on. Yeah. Um, but just get that in place. And then it, it feels weird, but just kind of melt onto the person. Yeah. Um, it's it it's relaxing for you obviously that's uh relative yeah um, but you're not you're not burning yourself out and you feel twice as heavy to the guy in the bottom and that's the thing is it's that's that's the beauty of the whole thing like i'm gonna take a little rest and i'm gonna make you deal with all my weight while i decide which direction right, i want right. to go right now uh, yeah that's that that's the plan though it's hoping something like that'll work out and uh we shall see <laughs> you know it's uh it's better i i assume it's better than doing nothing yeah. That, that's the hope, yeah. at least. I'll just come back way worse than I ever was because it was just like <laughs> ruined my whole game. Can't be any worse than me, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm curious. Um, you've trained at three different gyms throughout your um, career so far. You've had three different instructors, technically. Yes. Yeah, primarily. I mean, there's been some spot training here and there, but yeah, sure. three, pri three primary trainers, yeah. So what's something that you... Two questions. What's something that you look for in a gym before you decide to go to a gym? And what are some similarities that you've seen from the three gyms that you've trained at? Because that, like I, I know about Gracie Baja in general and then mm -hmm. Cindy Hale's version. And then I know a bit about, a little bit about Marcelo Alonso's place and our place, of course. And they're all vastly different yeah. on the surface. But I'm curious, like what, what are some of the similarities between them? Um, I mean, similarity is a good training for sure. Um, I think if you, you know, if you're, if you're assessing a gym, you can figure out a whole lot just from the vibe. Um, and there are, you know, some gyms that are, that are good that I probably wouldn't want to train at just cause the vibe is different. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're way more competitive than I want to be. Um, for a few different reasons, you know, hey, I'm just not that committed to a competition lifestyle, but you know, now that I'm getting older, I'm 46. I was gonna say you're really old. Um, I, <laughs> I got <laughs> I need to be aware of that. Yeah. And if I allow myself to get super competitive, my chance of injury goes way up. Yep. Um, and that's not something I'm interested in. Uh, there is the the way in which the instructor teaches, and that's something I don't hear a whole lot of people talk about. But it's the same reason why the best coaches in any professional sport, basketball or what have you, are not the best players. Often, it's the same yeah. reason that John Danaher is famous as a jiu-jitsu coach, but yet he has never personally won a thing in his life. He's never competed. Never competed. In jiu-jitsu, yeah. Um, it's a different skill set to be a great instructor versus a great practitioner mm -hmm. of anything. So getting a vibe for who the professor is, how they teach, 
and just kind of how they are as a person. You know, everybody can be cool, but you might just gel with somebody better and, yeah. and that can be valuable. Um, personally, I look for an emphasis on self-defense or at least an existence of self-defense training. I find that very valuable and a lot of competition schools don't even, don't even bother with that at all. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the argument is made, if you can do jujitsu, even competition jujitsu, you'll be able to defend yourself. And that is true. However, there are certain aspects that I think are really important to always keep in mind if you ever plan on using it for self-defense. Um, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of videos where, you know, a street fight's going down and you can tell somebody knows some jujitsu and they go for a, a very standard move at completely the wrong time because they're not taking into account somebody's going to punch them in the face, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So BJ just, Penn got beat up. Uh, yeah, but I think he was just drunk. And he was, he, yeah. He but was sticking his chin out and yeah. My I, point though is it's like, I mean, e- even a world champion who's one of the, you know, yep. who's a prodigy at Jiu-Jitsu, got a black belt in three years. Like, and he, uh, I think he actually fought a little bit in MMA, didn't he? But uh, maybe he did not, but I know he at least won a world championship. BJ Penn? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Is he? He was all over the UFC. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. He's he, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was gonna say. I'm pretty sure he was a pretty big. He fought guy. last year. Did he? Okay. Yeah. I didn't, re- didn't look good, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember seeing that, and it's like you never, you just never know. You know, you got to be prepared yeah. for that kind of stuff. Yeah, it doesn't make you invincible. Um, and even you know, right now, so I have a purple belt in a, you know, some sort of situation went down, and some untrained person tries to get a hold of me. I feel very, very confident that I'm going to come out on top, but it's not a guarantee. And that doesn't mean somebody's not going to throw a haymaker that I don't see coming and just knock me cold out. Mm-hmm. Um, me cold, knock me out cold. Um, so yeah, it's it's not it's not magic. You know, it, it takes hard work and it takes the the focus on the direction that you want to go, whether it's competition or self defense. Yeah. So in in terms of assessing a gym, I think you know vibe is a big deal. Um, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find any tarp, any type of, you know, McDojo jujitsu just because it's so easy to, uh, to find the fakes. Um, yeah. there, there's so much less of that, uh, on, you know, versus some of the more traditional martial arts where, uh, you know, knowing what we know now, you can watch them train and say, yeah, that's not really going to do you any good in an actual confrontation. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't really happen in jujitsu cause it's just too easy to test it out. Um, yeah, you, yeah. You may have a variance from gym to gym and overall talent level or like exactly. technical ability, right? And maybe there is a case to be made that competitive gyms will just naturally have more talent. Let's yes. say grappling prowess. Yes. Um, in part because they're going harder usually more often, but right. so you, you you're, they're on the mat more usually. So you're mm-hmm. you're just gonna see that because that's the more you're on the mat, the better you're gonna be generally just yeah. naturally. But yeah, it's. It's hard to it's hard to fake jujitsu. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I I would be shocked if I, I could see wrestlers who've done army combatives doing a good job, maybe doing an okay job at faking jujitsu knowledge and making a McDojo gym, just because they have yeah. the ground presence. Yeah. That and army combatives are going to show some things. Yeah. Maybe they spend three months in an MMA gym and then call themselves a. a a purple belt and show up somewhere, but it's going to get, it's still going to get found out pretty quickly. Well, even then, even that level of training is going to be better than what you find at, you know, the, these nonsense old school chi based traditional martial arts. Oh, the death touch shit. Yeah. No, no death touch. Uh, 
and they, that's not to disrespect any of the, the historical significance or the cultural significance of those arts. It's fantastic. Uh, but if your goal is to learn how to actually defend yourself against someone who's trying to hurt you, um, yeah, then, they've, they've been diluted. Yeah. They've been, they've been so far diluted. Uh, and, and that's a great point. Yeah. You know, three, four, 500 years ago when some of these arts, uh, started, they were super legit, but they also trained really hard and, yeah. you know, they beat the crap out of each other for real and a bunch of stuff that you could not do in modern society. You'd get sued out of business. Um, so yeah, they get watered down they got popularized by the action movies and, and Bruce Lee and stuff like that. So you got a bunch of crap for a couple of decades, but now that, now that the, you know, the UFC changed things 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Uh, and, and now we understand, um, and, and that's why, that's why MMA is MMA. It's mixed martial arts. <laughs> there is no one. There is an understanding that you need to know how to be effective on the ground. You need to be effective while you're standing up and you need to be effective in that transition when someone's either trying to take you to the ground or you're trying to take them. Well, yeah. And, uh, you see people who specialize in more in standing striking and then ground games and they, depending, they do very well. You know, you'll have guys that aren't as good on the ground, but are very good standing who dominate in the MMA. And then they have guys that don't strike very well, but can still do very well because their ground game is so strong. Yeah. And I think that's, that's starting to become less and less frequent. It is. Yeah. Like the specialists. Yeah. Um, you really do need to have a well-rounded game. It doesn't mean you're not, you know, particularly talented in one aspect of it, but if, if you have a hole in your game, if you don't know how to grapple, even if you're the best striker out there, yeah, um, you're going to get dumped on your butt and choked out. No, very true. It, it's what's going to happen, I think. And I don't watch a lot of MMA and you can tell just by me not realizing the BJ Penn, <laughs> um, did MMA for a long time and was in the hall of fame. I, I could have sworn that he did it, but I, I don't really watch a huge amount of it, but um, of what I have seen, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, uh, you'll start to see it equalized to more of a, uh, a jack of all trades versus a specialist. Right. Yeah. I, um, I think that's, that's definitely the direction. I think it's what we've seen for the last 10 years. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times you'll get a specialist that will come in and, and do fairly well, but obviously you need to work on, uh, the other aspects of your game. You know, if you're a grappler, you got to work on yeah. your stand up, uh, and, Typically at that level, you know, UFC being a world-class organization, um, the people that make it to the top of that, so you're actually seeing them on TV, they make it to the main card, uh, they're going to be very, very dedicated and physically talented athletes, Yeah, uh, which means they're probably going to pick up the the other stuff. They'll pick up the striking much faster anyway. Yeah. And we've seen that a bunch of times. Somebody come in as, you know, strictly a specialist, I mean, you know, Damian Maya, from when he started to now, his stand-up has gotten fantastic. Now it's he's not going to beat some of the best stand-up guys. Yeah. But yeah. comparatively, he's got much better stand-up. Uh Khabib Nurmagomedov, same thing. He's known for his crushing wrestling style. And that is pivotal to to the you know the fact that he's undefeated. But his stand-up's getting quite a lot better. Isn't, um, isn't, um, I thought I remember hearing something similar about Ben Askren because he's a wrestler yep. and his striking's been getting a lot better. We didn't get to see a whole lot of Ben striking. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have the best run in the UFC. That Is he done? Pretty, I know he was. He's done. He's okay. retired. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen many of his fights in one champion, but yeah, he was known as a wrestler, super dedicated, hardworking guy. But if you're going to do MMA, you're going to work on your striking. He's another one of those, um, those odd, he's, he's got a dad bod. Yes. 
and he's had a dad bod since college because I, I I actually like wrestling and I I, uh, I follow a lot of uh, wrestling and and stuff and uh, um you know he was a four time finalist two time national champion at uh, Missouri mm, okay and uh, really good had a dad bod then but just like just for whatever reason like crazy athletic um, I watched him once on a YouTube video he. Uh, he crushed two large watermelons with yep. his hands. His squeeze was so yeah. strong that he crushed two watermelons. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I remember hearing that his uh, striking had really dramatically improved because you obviously don't strike in wrestling. Um, but you know, it's, it's very interesting how that'll equalize out and you'll have much more of a of a jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, the self-defense for me too is very important. That's uh, I didn't actually realize that when I'd started coming here. I didn't know anything about jujitsu and then I kind of started to slowly learn it, but, um, I much prefer, like the reason I wanted to do some kind of a martial art is because, um, I was at, you know, I, I was genuinely concerned that like maybe one day my girlfriend and I are walking home from getting a few drinks. It's one in the morning and, um, we get jumped. I don't know what to do. Like I'm a big guy, but, or it was bigger than I am obviously now, but, um, even though I'm not very big. Like, I don't know how to defend myself. Yeah, it's real. No, yeah, you know, yeah. and I was like, well, I want to do a martial art and um, I didn't really want to do karate. And I was like, well, try jujitsu. Maybe that'll work. And it was here. It was close. I, like I said, I used to work across the street. So um, from, from the gym, so it made it easy. And then I learned like this thing was designed for exactly what I'm looking for. And, um, and then I learned that like choking people is fun <laughs> and uh, therapeutic. Yes. And, uh, and, and then I also learned that jujitsu is basically life. That's the other big thing is it like mirrors so many things in life. Yes. Um, and it's uh, very analogous to, to all the little problems that you go through. I think we mentioned this in a couple of podcasts ago, but, um, life just isn't as hard a lot of the time, most of the time I would argue, maybe even all of the time after you've spent an hour getting throttled and smashed and choked and pushed around by someone who is just better than you. Like you have a 240 pound sweaty man <laughs> crush you into a ground for, for seven minutes, 10 minutes. So much so that like afterwards, like the imprint of your body is like left into the mat. <laughs> and like all of a sudden, like, you know, Becca from work, who's kind of a B, like, isn't as big of a problem anymore. Like, right. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the other guy that you, at work that you're, you know, button heads with, you know, having your alpha male contest with, like, it's not really a big deal after you see your own imprint in a mat after getting squished and, you know, you got a little bit of blood coming out of your mouth or whatever, you know, you, maybe you forgot the tap and you passed out. Like most things in life tend to be a little bit less of a problem after you have a good training session and, um, which, which I really appreciate. It's nice to just come in and like you said, mat therapy, right? You just, even if you have a, like a shitty role even if you're not doing very good, like by standards of whatever that would be, like you're passing guards or getting submissions, even if you're just getting your ass kicked, it's like the therapy's still there. Yep. It's therapy win or lose, right? You're all of a sudden problems are not near as big of a problem anymore. It's which turns I, them down. Is anybody old enough to have seen fight club, yeah. uh, although a bit dramatized, they, they had the right idea. No, right. Exactly. It turns exactly. down all your problems. It, no, it, yeah. it really, really, really does. They, they kind of delve more into the nihilism than, than I would, but a little uh, bit, a little bit <laughs> <laughs> in the destruction of society. But, <laughs> but I definitely, yeah, I definitely think that there's something to be said for that. And, uh, 
in fact, it, I mean, that's like, you know, I said I teach and stuff and I, um, if I had my way, I would continue to do this for the rest of my life. Like didn't get paid to do it. Like I have no, no intentions of leaving. Yeah. And so that would be the ultimate goal is just to do it forever. Or as long as, you know, humanly possible, right? That would kind of be the plan. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're helping people. You're, you're giving them a, not exactly a gift because you got to earn it, but you're giving something, you, you're giving people something that can literally change their lives. Mm-hmm. So you can impact a lot of people in really good ways. You would, uh, mentioned, um, camaraderie, comrade, camaraderie and like intimacy mm-hmm. with grappling. And, um, one of the things I, I thought was very interesting is there's like a level of intimacy with people you roll with that you literally, I don't think you get with anyone else. And that includes like a spouse. Sure. Yeah. It's a different kind of inti- intimacy, yeah. of course, unless you and your spouse grapple together and then, but and even then it's still different than any other kind of spousal intimacy. But I, I don't know. I've never found a better way to know, to get to know somebody than to grapple with them well, the personally. Thing, yeah. The thing about that, I agree a hundred percent. The thing about that is if you want to get to know somebody, you have to test them. And that includes yourself. You want to get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to test yourself. Um, and one of the biggest tests is uh, at what point do you quit? Yeah. And I guarantee you, you're going to be put in a position where you want to quit. You also get put in positions where you have to quit, but you'll be good. You'll, you'll be put in positions where you want to quit, but you can keep going if you choose to. Um, and being able to recognize that and work through that and, and reconcile that with yourself, wherever it is you land on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to have that same experience with the other person. Yeah. You're trying to make them quit. Um, and they're trying to make you quit. And you see that, man, they're not quitting. This guy's tough. Yeah. And, and you try to put it on them. Um, and, and you get to know a person's character so much faster than any other way. Yeah, that's what I've noticed. A uh, five-minute role will teach you more about somebody's character than, than anything else. knowing them for years. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, their character and their personality. What I found, you know, and we're a pretty small gym comparatively. It, from what I understand, Gracie Baja, Kirkland was pretty big. It's good size, um, yeah. I think, you know, what? since I've been here, we've had around 100 students, and that includes the kids. And it was a little bit bigger before I joined, but um, like maybe a year or so before, but we probably have about 50 to 65 adults. So it's a very, it's a pretty small adult class. Yeah. Compa- you know, some, an average gym is probably going to have 100 to 200, right? Right. And some of the bigger ones might have four or five, at, you know, um, Henzo's where John Danaher trains, it's got like 3,000 or some, some absurd, right? But um, we've still gone through a lot of students. A lot of people have come through. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've probably seen three, 400 students come through in the last four years, maybe more. And we have five purple belts, right? And they were, all of them have been here with the exception of you since I've been here, right? Nice. So as of yet, no one has earned a purple belt since I've been here. Maybe Wang has, but I think actually, yeah, but Wang was here okay, when yeah. I started. Yeah. And then he got his purple belt, as did Sean. But, um, you know, no one started since I've been started and gotten a purple belt. Like it's hard, you know, and I've only seen a few blue belts since I've started get a blue belt from when I, since I've been here. Yeah. And, but I've still grappled with a lot of people and it's always, it's shocking to me the the number of people that I've grappled with where their character and personality when they grapple is vastly different than who they are when I talk to them. 
And it's like very apparent to me. <laughs> and the other thing that's very apparent to me is that, or at least it seems, this is my hypothesis, is that um, the people who stick around are the ones who can reconcile the difference between who they present themselves to be and who they actually are. I think that yeah. that's, I think that that's the case. I think yeah. that as part of the transformation and making this a pro wanting to find whatever the end of jujitsu is, if there, even though there isn't probably technically an end, no. but wanting to get whatever your goal is at the end of the tunnel, the rainbow, as it were, um, I think it's necessary. Let's say if you want to get a black belt to, you have to reconcile who you are with who you present yourself to the world. Yeah. And if you don't do that, I don't know. Actually, my hypothesis is that you actually can't do jujitsu. Like you can't continue to do it. I don't see, I actually don't see because of what we've been talking about, how someone can live through what it is that we do every day with that discrepancy. I don't see how you could. I mean, I, I always say there's truth on the mats. Yeah. And that just means you, you can't fake any of it. No. There, and that's there, what I mean is yeah. that there's, there's an incongruency between like, how you present yourself when you're talking and whether, you know, you're talking to people and you're just being, having a lot of bravado or you're like saying things are true that you maybe don't believe, which people do all the time. It's actually extremely common. But when you're on the mat and you're not talking, you're just rolling. Like none of that matters. None of it. And you can, you can feel, you, you can feel the personality. You can, you can feel the character of an individual and how they move what they attempt to do, how they do it, their reactions to things, whether it's like vocal reactions, like grunting or you know, yelling or laughing, um, all that kind of stuff is like, and if there's an incongruency between those two things, like I, I think as a person, you have to reckon, you're going to know it and then you have to reconcile it. Yeah. Right. If there's, you know, if you're a very um, proud individual and you're always boasting about whatever conquest you should boast about, some victory, in your life and that you're on the mat and you're always getting destroyed. And that character is just being slowly beaten down and reformed. There's going to be a little bit of a disconnect, especially if you're lying about those conquests. Right. right. And that, that's really the thing maybe you have them and you lose here and that's fine. It, it'll be consistent, but you, you'll be able to tell the character difference there between someone who lies about doing things that they don't actually do. You get on the mat and like all of that's kind of laid bare. And, um, it's a very, I remember when I first started to realize that I could pick up on individual character and personality from people. It was a very surreal feeling to me. I, I noticed it with Sean because of all the people in our gym, he's the one I've grappled with the most and I've grappled with him way more than anyone else. And it was about a year into my blue belt. Um, I just started to get a feel. I was starting to really kind of get a feel for what my body wanted to do. And so I stopped getting hurt doing simple movements. Like when I first started with a white belt and in a blue belt, I'd do a knee, knee cut pass and I would tweak my knee because like my hips wouldn't be lined up with my knee. Ah, yeah. Right. So my hips would be facing you and my knee would be going to the left or the right. And then I would, it'd get caught in the quarter guard and I, I, I tweak my knee, stuff like that. Yeah. So once I started to figure that stuff out and I, now my, I don't do anymore, you know, my knee doesn't get hurt. Um, I started to feel you know, the other person's body and their connection and how we're moving together. And then I started to branch off into trying to figure that stuff out. And I, I started to feel his personality as he grappled. <laughs> and, um, and that's the moment when I realized that he wasn't angry all the time and didn't like everybody. He was actually a nice person. Yeah. You just had to get to know him. Yep. Cause he, you know, he's like, he doesn't smile a lot if you don't know him. And so, uh, I just thought he was kind of, he was just angry 
angry short guy. <laughs> and he scared me. And then, but that moment I started to realize, no, not only is he like obsessed with and loves jujitsu and it's like, like an integral part of his life, but he's like a very genuine and uh, passionate individual. Yes. And, and it comes out in his rolling. When you roll with him, he rolls very passionately. Yeah. And you can actually like feel his intentionality and his movements increase and decrease with his emotion as he gets into the role. You know, if he, if he gets to a point where he's getting a little frustrated, you can actually feel him pick up his pace before he does it because you can feel the emotion in him like pick up and you're like, fuck, he's going to explode because yep, yep. he's getting a little angry because you, you're like <laughs> holding him down. He doesn't like it or whatever, you know? Um, and whenever I watch him roll, I'll see like a white belt X like hit him in the face or something. It'll bother him. And I'm like, in a second here, he's just going to go on a rampage for like 20 <laughs> seconds and just pass the guard and choke him and then he do it tapping again. Tapping in five. Yeah, four, right. Exactly. Three. You could just yeah. tell by his mannerisms. And uh, I think people exude, they exude that, that character and that personality from their bodies. Like it's a very physical, it's a physical manifestation of it. Um, and I don't think that as a society, we, uh, we pay attention to that enough. No, well, we don't challenge ourselves enough. I think. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. um, which is unfortunate because it makes us as a culture, a very, very bad judges of character. Mm -hmm. It's hard to judge character if you never, if you're never stress test like that. Exactly. Yes. You know, and, um, yeah, if you can, if you can put filters on your Instagram selfies, uh, that is the exact opposite of what is going to, uh, teach you someone's genuine character and your own to learn about yourself. Okay. Well, we could probably wrap this up, although I do want to, uh, give a message to anybody that doesn't train jujitsu, but's thinking about it. Do it. Or maybe you're not even thinking about it. Do it anyways. But if you made it this far, if you listen to this whole thing, and you heard us talk about how much we love jujitsu um, and some of the competitive aspects and things like that, I would say look at the look at jujitsu from the standpoint that it really is for virtually anybody. Um, I say virtually. Of course, there's going to be some exceptions. However, just because you don't want to be a competitor or you're not looking to be an MMA fighter or, or whatever, uh, whether you're a man or a woman, I think jujitsu will surprise you in how much it has to offer. Mm -hmm. um, you will most likely make some of the best friends you've ever had in your entire life because you will get to know their true character and they yeah. will get to know yours and you will suffer together, which is a common way to bond with another human being. Yeah. Um, and you and and you, most likely you're going to find some smart friends as well because it may seem like jujitsu would be a meathead type of activity. Oh, you want to be a cage fighter or, or something like that. The reality is most of the people that are attracted to jujitsu very uh, cerebral. They are cerebral because as physically demanding as jujitsu is, it is way more intellectually demanding. Yes. Um, it's it's high speed chess with a thousand different pieces. Um, there's so much going on. That's, that's part, that, that's part of the mat therapy in that you don't have room to worry about your bills or, or any of that kind of stuff. You are 100% fully engaged in the activity. And there are, there are, uh, mental and also biological rewards that happen when you do that. And, and you know, that holds for, for any activity that requires you to give it your, you know, 100% focus, mm -hmm. get into quote unquote, the zone. Um, and, and that's really what that is, is when you find yourself in a position 
that you're doing something that is very demanding, it's difficult, and yet you know that you are capable of, of doing it. Um, and that could be anything from, you know, extreme stuff like skydiving or driving fast um, or, you know, giving a really challenging presentation or a talk if you're a professor. I mean, you know, somebody walks a life. But if something is incredibly difficult and yet you can, if you give it your all, you can complete that task, then that's going to put you in the zone mm-hmm. and that will be incredibly rewarding. And jujitsu 100% fits that bill. To boot... Um, it is the real deal. It is genuinely effective. So particularly for the ladies, if you are at all interested in some form of self-defense, uh, I would say check out jujitsu and, and give it an honest shot because particularly if you are worried about defending yourself against a man, if they're going to try to be, you know, sexually aggressive or something like that, they're probably going to try and get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know what to do in that situation, to be able to use your, um, use your legs and the strongest parts of your body against them in a way that will, that will, uh, have you succeed and, you know, potentially choke them out or break an arm or, or, you know, whatever it is, you will stay safe. Um, that's incredibly valuable. I mean, bear in mind the, the, uh, typically considered the originator of, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Elio Gracie. He was 125 pounds. Mm-hmm. He was a small, small guy, and he was taking challenges from anyone. You know, no, no weight classes or anything like that back then, and he was very successful. All of which is to say, jujitsu is very effective against people that are larger than you. It teaches you uh, many principles of leverage and ways to you know use the strongest parts of your body against the weakest parts of somebody else's body, and it just plain works. And not only would do we tell you it works, but you will discover for yourself that yeah. it works. It, it will be pressure tested. And when you know something, you will know that you know it because you can do it regardless of whether or not your training partner is trying to let you do it. <laughs> um, so it's effective. It's tremendous fun. It's great exercise. Uh, the, the community, the jujitsu community is fantastic. They're all good people. Uh, it, it's definitely it has the potential to be a life-changing experience in a very positive way. So that's my mini jujitsu commercial. I like it. Um, I would add a few things too. Uh, so jujitsu is, you know, we mentioned jujitsu is kind of like life. Jujitsu is simulated death. Like it is actually like the whole purpose of like, if I, if I choke you and you don't tap and I continue and you pass out and I continue to hold the choke, you will eventually die. Right. Um, that's very real. Um, if I attempt to break your arm and you don't tap and I keep going, you won't have an arm anymore. They might have to actually be taken off, like depending on how, how bad, how bad stuff, how bad I turn, you know, right? Like sure. you may, you may just lose an arm. There's too much damage. Like it's re- very real. So you tap, you start over, you tap, you start over. It's simulated death. Right. Um, and that's how life is. That's actually how we, we humans literally think this way. We actually developed our consciousness in, in part to do this so that we would stop actually dying as we evolved over, over millions of years, right? Because otherwise we just, our proto ancestors and trees would jump down out of a tree, get bit by a snake. And then if they didn't develop a way to understand where the snake was or where the snake lived, then they would always just jump down, get bit by a snake, and then the cycle would repeat. <laughs> and so 
you know, and obviously I'm, I'm being pretty broad about this and there are other theories on how consciousness evolved, but one of the prevailing theories is that this is exactly what happened. Over time, our tree-dwelling ancestors determined that, well, maybe the snake comes from over there. So I'm going to meet it over there instead of at the bottom of the tree and then I'm going to kill it. And then it got further and further. You learn more into the future and then you could think about it so that you didn't die. That's all we're doing. Because I'm thinking about what to do and then if I die, tap, and then I start over again and I do it again. And that's how we do life. We think through things in our life like, should I take a left at this turn or should I wait? Should I say this to my boss or should I say something else? What happens if I do? If I ask somebody out, how is it going to go? And then I think through all the things in my head and then I try and pick what seems to be the right one. It's all jujitsu. So that's the first thing. Um, I think it's a very valuable lesson to learn. If you can do that physically and mentally all of the time, you'll be a better person for it because it'll be second nature. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and it's kind of overlaps with this, is um, this notion of synchronicity in the body. Uh, Jordan Peterson actually talks a lot about this in um, in a good number of his uh, um, class lectures and then in some of the lectures he does in like big halls with thousands of people. But he talks about the synchronicity between like all of the internal parts of your body, like your physical body, your psychological body, your soul, your mind. They all kind of come into a sync, like a, a harmonious synchronicity. Um, he says, you, you'll most, you, you, you mostly see this when you listen to a particularly beautiful part of music or you see something very truly great happen in a sports event and it makes your body tingle and you're like, you're kind of in a euphoric high. That's that synchronicity. Everything's kind of coming into place. And I actually find that this happens to me a, a lot more now than I've ever noticed in my life just from doing jujitsu. Mm. Because, and in part because I have to be honest with myself all of the time. Because if I'm not, when I do jujitsu, everything goes bad for me. Because what I'm doing on the mat isn't in, in synchronicity with what I do in real life. Which is, I've always been a very honest person. And I've been much more honest now than I've ever been in my whole life. In part because I have to be. My, I don't see another way to live my life because I do jujitsu. And so I would say that if anyone who's interested in living a more honest, authentic life, and anyone who's interested in mythology, archetypes, psychology, in becoming a better person mentally, physically, whatever, all of this stuff just maps onto itself. And it, and it comes into place for you as you do jujitsu. And I've never found a better, I've yet to find a better way to organize my life that doesn't make me stressed or anxious or upset or um, feel like I'm not being true to myself because I have to be right. I, there, there is no, I'm exactly the same person in this room on the mat when I grapple as I am at home with my girlfriend, with her parents, with people that from jujitsu or friends outside of jujitsu. Um, when I meet with them as I am with my parents, as I am with my family, like I'm no different. So you're putting your parents in a front headlock, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So like <laughs> everyone gets choked the same, like I don't care. Um, but like my personality and how I act is, is exactly the same. There's no difference for me. I don't put a front on at all. Like, I don't, some people can actually do that. I can't, I don't know how to do it. And, and I, I blame jujitsu for that, but I blame jujitsu in a good way. Um, and you know, in part, I blame, say someone like Jordan Peterson for talking about this and really making me realize that what this was mentally for me, but mm. there's so much overlap for me that I, for anyone who's like me, who's having that issue and isn't sure like what the right path is for them or is trying to find it and it's hard and wants to be more authentic, do this, or at least do something like this because there isn't, 
if you can figure this part out and you can synchronize it with how you feel mentally, you will become a better person. You'll become a more authentic, honest, truthful individual, and your life will just get drastically better. I'm not saying you'll wake up with a million dollars, but the overall happiness and contentedness of your life will dramatically change. People who you'd never really liked and are kind of a drain on your existence will just go away. People who love you and you love will be happier to be around you and it'll make your life improve because their life will improve. You'll repair relationships with your family. Um, you'll learn how to choke people. Like, it's just a good thing. <laughs> Every, it, just, it just, all in all, it just, it, I, I can't recommend it enough. And if you have kids, hopefully we don't have kids listening to this podcast because we cuss a lot. But if you have kids, we don't cuss when we teach and bring them into class. And so, because uh, the kids should do this too. It's a great- Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's great for- socialization, um, yes. body awareness, um, self-defense. Uh, well, you want to, you want to prevent bullying, teach kids yeah. how to fight. And that sounds counterintuitive. I know Joe Rogan's harped on this a lot, yeah. but it's true. It is. It's the, not just the ability to handle yourself if you need to, but the humility that comes with the process of learning how to do that yeah. just calms everybody down. It does. It really does. Yeah. My favorite thing is to watch some of our um, a little bit more uh, cocky youth kids, boys, 10, 12, 13, you know, and they're, you know, they're little shitheads sometimes and I love them, but they're, you know, they're little, little cocky little sons of guns and, and they'll, uh, you know, we have the, the little boys and the girls grapple together. We don't care. And they'll think that they're going to like, you know, they're going to win. It happens a lot with like new boys come in, don't, don't understand. And, sure. then, and they're, oh, yeah. they're bigger than the girls. Cause maybe they've started at puberty and the girls haven't or whatever. And then, or they know, and they still think that they're going to dominate. And then our smaller girls will just destroy them, just throw them to the ground and choke them and armbar them. Like it, like they're nothing. Yes. And it, it just, it's just so fun to watch. Like I, the number of times I've had boys be like, oh, this is going to be an easy, easy grappling match or easy game. And then the girl just like, I'm like, you got this. And then one of the girls would just grab him and throw him to the ground and like apply a choke really fast and just kind of whistle as they walk to the wall. Like <laughs> true, man. This is easy for me too. Yep. <laughs> Ladies, women beat men all the time. Oh yeah. It's it, yeah. It's yeah. But it, it's definitely something that I recommend everyone do. Um, it, uh, I mean, it, it changed, it literally changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I shudder to think of the man that I would be today without having discovered and done jujitsu. Like I actually don't know. I, I probably would be single, honestly. Um, and living alone and very depressed. Sure. Um, as an individual and maybe not. Maybe my girlfriend refused to leave me. I like to think that might be the case. But um like, you know, I just wasn't a happy individual and I didn't know how to get out of that rut. I hated my job and um all those kinds of things. And there was so many things that I had had questioned in my life since I was like six. I'm a very cerebral person. So I've just had questions running through my mind for my whole life. And jujitsu kind of helped me answer all of those questions. I had helped, like I said, I talk about Jordan Peterson. There's a lot of other people that I'd help with that I listened to, but it really helped kind of put all those into perspective. Right. And, uh, um, I, I think, I think that this sport could, or this art could fix anybody in that regard. I think that, um, this should, honestly, I, I would, if I was a therapist or a psychologist, I would prescribe jujitsu to my patients as a way to get over whatever trauma they have. Yep. I, I agree. And I think on the, on the medical side of things, it, 
first and foremost is any type of uh, intense physical exercise has been shown scientifically yeah. to be just as effective as antidepressants. Yep. So there's that part. That's really good. That's, that's a biochemical answer yeah. to uh, people that are struggling with uh, depression. It's not a cure all. Don't you know? Please don't hear anything we're not saying. Um, but it would be the the be it would be the best place to start mm-hmm. because it's not filling your body full of chemicals. Yep. Um, but then also you know all the rest of the things that we said in terms of community camaraderie, uh, the the cerebral nature of it, the accomplishment that when you are successful, say you tap somebody out. Um, that you know that that was real and you yeah. really did that and you're getting better. Um, all of those things are incredibly beneficial, both physically and mentally. Yeah. Lack so, of judgment. Yep. There's no, I've, I've been to a dozen gyms, half a dozen gyms and no judgment. Oh no. Yeah. It's, it, I, I can't, I can't think of any bad gyms. I can think of gyms that are a bit more intense than is appropriate for me right now or yeah. you know, the super competitive. But yeah, everybody's always cool. It's it's a family. It really is. If someone finds out you train jujitsu and they also train, you're instantly in. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's a good thing for sure. No, and it's a, I, I enjoy that, you know, you and I, you know, obviously in our podcast, we free speech is a really big component for the two of us. And we we like challenging ideas. Mm-hmm. We both like to challenge ideas and we like ideas that are challenging, right? So to, to, to make that clear, cause we like both. And we also, even if we disagree or maybe don't personally enjoy, um, ideas that are uncouth, let's say, or bad, <laughs> um, whether it's up because of the times or just, they're just terrible ideas. We're still willing to entertain those ideas. I don't, I don't really judge with that kind of stuff. There are ideas I wish didn't exist, but they exist. And so we're willing to at least to some degree discuss those if it comes up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really like about jujitsu is that it, there's a similar lack of judgment. Like there's no, you get tapped. No one's like, Oh, bottom of the pecking order for you. You're a loser. Oh yeah. No, that no, doesn't no. happen. Like <clears throat> and no. additionally, I've, we talk a lot after class and people have very different ideas, you know, mm-hmm. and doesn't matter. I don't care who you are. You got on the mat, you're still going to pass out if I choke you. It doesn't, like I said at the top, at the top, at the top of this, like it doesn't matter to me if I'm grappling with someone who's a legitimate communist who wants to reinstitute Stalin's regime. If I, if I, if I choke that person, he's still going to pass out. So it doesn't matter to me what he believes. What matters to me is how well he can defend my choke or if he understands what a heel hook is. Cause if he doesn't, I'm going to heel hook him. And there's a certain amount of, comfort in that there's some danger in that too because then you could possibly get a a situation where there's a lot of really bad ideas in a room but given the nature of how this art functions what matters is your ability to compose yourself on the mat that's what actually matters Mm -hmm. and that goes with that incongruency between what you show the world and what your character is right is you have to figure that out you have to flatten that ego and be real with yourself you can do that on a mat you'll be accepted by anyone doesn't matter and they'll be willing to listen to you off the mat, even if they disagree. I would, I would charge that anyone who does jujitsu is willing to listen to most any idea, even if they hate it. They might tell you they hate it, but you can you learn how to accept those things because of how real and raw this sport is, this, this art is. And it, um, like you said, it, uh, makes you much more humble or humble individual and 
your aggression levels just decrease. Like you, 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 yep. you go into situations and you don't fire off. Yeah. Right. You're willing to kind of, you're able to handle it in a much more relaxed manner. And it just, it's just overall, I think good for everybody. Which is typically a byproduct of confidence and not fear. Exactly. You will go from being afraid and therefore potentially, uh, you know, trying to put on a show of aggression or, you know, whatever the situation is when you, you feel scared. Spazzy white belt. Yeah. To being genuinely confident, but understanding that, you know, hey, you may not know the full situation. Uh, so you'll be humble as well mm -hmm. and just calm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So find a gym near you or find a couple, go check them out, see which one vibes with you. And uh, I would say give jujitsu a shot. It might just change your life. And with that, everybody, episode five of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. Have a good rest of the day. Take care.